0: Well, I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, We've got Joey Klein in today. He's a CEO, an author, world champion martial artist, and founder of the Intermatrix Systems. Before we jump into our conversation with Joey, today's episode is brought to you by Millie CBD. It seems like everyone's jumping on the CBD bandwagon these days, and with so many options out there, what really differentiates one brand from the next? I've teamed up with Millie CBD for two reasons. All of their hemp products are grown and processed right here in Colorado, and the quality is second to none. In a world of CBD products, Millie stands alone. Check out all their amazing products at millie.co. That's M-I-L-L-I-E.co. Use code FORM at checkout for 10% off your entire order. And now, please welcome Joey Klein.
1: Hey, we're having me here today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank yeah, thanks
0: so much for taking the time to, uh, you know, out of your busy schedule to come up and, and catch up and hopefully enjoy some of this warm weather we've got up here to get out for a, a bike ride this afternoon.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm uh, happy that you got the weather to cooperate. It's been a little cold, snowy. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And the <laughs> snow melted, too. It's not, just, it's not just warm. Yeah, we had snow on the
0: ground. Um, it snowed Tuesday night, so we had snow on the ground Wednesday morning. And then we had a little uh, local Wednesday night race here, and it warmed up to like 60 degrees, and it was it was perfect, wow. like, not dusty. So sticky trails should be in good shape. Um, so hey, I want to set the stage a little bit here for folks. Uh, like the reason I'm so excited to have you on the show and uh, as a guest is that for me, I I came I found you and your work at a time when I had a lot going on. I had a lot of balls up in the air and. Um I just started my own business and you know, I was racing my bike professionally and um I had a, a pretty young family. I think my daughter was probably six or seven at the time and um I was really struggling to juggle all of those things and, and um and I was looking for some help with direction and focus and and really I guess for lack of a better word, purpose, you know, to why I was doing everything I was doing. Um you know, and I think that for me, I've, I've struggled with, uh, the imposter syndrome over the years, especially as a professional athlete. And, um, I think that's, um, pretty common with, with athletes. I think they, they have the talent that they have and they kind of work their way up and and end up where they are. And, um, sometimes that, uh, you find yourself in this place of, of doubt and second guessing, do I really deserve to be here? And, um, so, you know, being able to work with you one-on-one and then, uh, you know, just engaging in the the system that you've created, it's, it was really helpful for me to be able to, to have these tools and use them. And it's, it's helped me in all those areas, you know, as my, um, cycling career as an entrepreneur, and then also a lot with, with my family, my daughter and my, and my wife. So, um. I just feel like a lot of people are gonna uh, can get a great value out of of you know what what you have to share with the world and um and you know my experience is probably just uh just one of many many um you know positive google reviews i guess you know <laughs> so uh um i'll I just wanna turn it over to you for a minute just give me a quick rundown of you know who you are and and really what you do like what, what do you do now? And then, uh, like what is the, the inner matrix system and, um, and then we'll kind of go from there.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So, um, yeah, inner matrix systems, uh, is a, you know, it's a personal mastery system for, for what I think of as high achievers. And, and I think it's important to, to name high achievers because I think when people hear that term high achievers, they think, you know, people like yourself who've, you know, accomplished something incredible in terms of, of athletics, like a pro athlete or, you know, a, a successful entrepreneur or, you know, a CEO of a big company. Um, but, but what I notice is that, that high achievers, you know, I, I think of them in two ways. One is um, they're, they're willing to simply um, aspire to something better in life than where they're at. Like whatever that means, right? I want to be a better parent, um, and I want to I want to do that role um, as best I can. Or I am an entrepreneur, and I want to see what I can accomplish in business, right? Um, and then I think the second sort of identifier uh, around a high achiever is, you know, they're willing to not just you know think about life being better um, in whatever way they aspire to, but then they're actually willing to do something to kind of move in that direction. And for me. Um, what I found is that if people had the desire to do something better, and a lot of times they have the willingness to see it through, um, it doesn't mean that they, that they have the how it doesn't mean that they, they understand how to bridge the gap from where they are to where they want to go, regardless of what that looks like. And what I found is that, you know, hard skills are, are, are really readily available out in the world. Like we can go learn sales techniques and we can learn, you know, we can go get educated and we can get a degree and, you know, like, like the world is, is out there and, and you can, you know, go out into the world of resources, especially today with Google and whatever, and like easily find, um, how to develop what I think of as external or hard skills, right? If you want to get in shape, I mean, you can, you can easily find a really great trainer in your local area and they can show you the mechanics of movement and, you know, how to get in better shape or whatever that might be, right? Somebody can find yourself and learn how to be better on a bike. Like, like that's, that's available. What I find is harder and more challenging to find is, is where's the system for training the inner game? that makes those um, hard skills viable, right? So, you know, we all know, like, as an example, if we want to get in shape, we know we need to go to the gym probably or, like, get on a bike and we need to work out. Mm-hmm. What, what's the distinction between somebody who gets up every day and actually fulfills on that idea that they want to execute on and, and achieves the goal and the vision that they want and somebody who does not, right? Or in a bigger reality, like, like yourself, like what, like what has you or somebody like you you know, drive as passionately as you do to achieve really high levels of achievement. Whereas other people, for whatever reason, may have that same aspiration to go there, but they don't, they don't, they don't get there. They don't go there, right? They don't bridge the gap. So where I look at it, where, where I come in is, is, is when we kind of have an idea of where we want to go, who we want to be, what we want to achieve on the external reality of life, whatever that means, more money, more fit, better relationships, et cetera what's the inner game that we need to train to make that happen? So just like you have a training system you know, to, to be a better athlete, um, you have a nutrition plan, you have a training plan, you follow that regimen. Um, I create that regimen and I've developed that system for developing the emotional capacity and leverage to get ourselves to do the things we need to do and, and play the mental game, uh, what are the mental strategies that we need to put in place and train so that these hard skills, these external skills are, are effective for us, if that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a given week, like this week, I could be on a phone, you know, I was literally on the phone this week, coaching, um, a guy worth a half a billion dollars. And, and I'm like, what do you want me to support you to do? And he's like, oh, I want to grow my company 300%. Right. And, and I'm, and then literally the next hour, um, I'm having a conversation with somebody and They're like, you know, I'm struggling in my marriage. How do I make that better? And the inner mechanics for each of those individuals to succeed and to fulfill the outcome they're looking for from an emotional standpoint like emotional training, mental strategy, thought training is exactly the same. Which which I think is which is fascinating to me and what I think a lot of people don't necessarily bridge that gap because they think that people who achieve outstanding results in their life are somehow superhuman, but they're just leveraging the inner mechanics in a way that positions them to fulfill the outcomes that they want. They just happen to be excited about and interested in outcomes that are different than most people so it's not just
0: like like drive is not just enough right like you're you're saying that if if i have this drive to achieve i want to i want to have a, a better relationship in my marriage so of course you're just going to think about well i want i want to have a better relationship in this marriage so i want it to happen so I guess that's the thing. Like, that's where. Like, how do you how do you do that, right? You just bring home flowers. You you <laughs> go out to to dinner. You uh, you know leave little love notes. Those kind of things. Like, but it's it's not. This is you're saying that you're coming from more of an emotional place. Uh, that that I don't know. I guess I keep going back to my mind. Like your the analogy of a personal trainer for your for your mind, right? Like um, as an athlete, most athletes are gonna benefit from doing squats, some core work, those kind of things, right? Like some, uh, and it is, is that's what you're saying, is like no matter what your really focus is, like where you want that, to see that improvement, your system allows you to uh, see benefit in both,
1: in any area just by engaging in it? Yeah, I think um if we ask the question where does drive come from? Like yeah. like like we can look at people and go this person seems to to drive themselves in a really aggressive way and they're a go-getter and they want to achieve xyz in their life and they and they go for it, right? And then you see somebody else who who maybe has this idea of wanting to achieve that but they never really go for it. And then there's everything in between where it's like okay, somebody will put out, you know, 150% of what they got to make something occur. And then somebody else puts for 60% and, and they'll, they'll go as far as that effort will take them, yeah. right? And so it's like, if we ask the question, well, why does that happen? I always, I'm always a why person. I'm like, well, why is it that this person does this? And why, why does that person do this? Why did this person get that outcome? Why did this other person get a different outcome? And I'm like, well, why did that occur, Right. And, and when I look at it, I go, you know, at, the, at an unconscious level, like emotions are driving every single thing that we do, from the, the choice of what we eat in a meal, right, to whether we work out or we don't, or am I going to be a kind human being today or not? And it just occurs to us that, that each day that this is just who we are and how we are. But if we look kind of behind the curtain and we go, well, where does drive come from? You know, emotional drivers are really affecting and, and sort of motivating all of those actions, and also determining whether or not we enjoy the process and the outcomes that, that we do achieve. And so, you know, if I look at myself, and I go, well, what, what drove me, right, to, to where I am today and what I'm doing today? And I think, I think this this is the category for all people in one level or another, if they look at what they're doing today or how they're living or what they aspire to, and it, and it comes down to kind of two Ps, right? Like Like, like passion or pain. And when I think about, why I started to seek something different or better for myself, it was because at the time I was in a lot of pain and and I wasn't satisfied with the way I was living my life. I wasn't happy with where I was. Um, You know, I was young adult. I had dropped out of college. I was partying every day. I worked kind of a meaningless job. Um, And I realized that if I continued going the way that I was going, um, that, that I probably wouldn't literally be around in a year. Like I probably just, I would probably be dead. Like just, just, it was luck that I hadn't, you know, already kind of pushed the things I was up to too far already. Right. Like getting in car accidents. I mean, we can go on and on and on. And I remember one day it hit me and I said, you know, I think I'm worth more than this. I want to aspire to more than this. And I remember the pain that was there was just a sense of, you know, worthlessness and loneliness and, you know, things that I wouldn't name at that time. It just sort of occurred to me as I need to, and this way of feeling. And so I started off and I said, well, I want to know, I just want to know what it is to be peaceful. Like, w- like what is it to be happy in life? And, and I remember looking around at people, like mentors in my life and teachers I had and whatnot, and, and I didn't see anybody living a vibrant life. I grew up in a small town outside of Wichita, Kansas, called Andover. And you know, peace, people were nice enough, they were getting by, but I didn't see anybody like happy and thriving. So I didn't, I didn't see anything that inspired me or anything I wanted to emulate. So I really just kind of started looking around for, like, what are those answers to to just sort of feeling better in my life, and ultimately I started just looking stuff up on the internet, like, like how do, you, like, where does happiness come from? I, I remember I ended up in the basement of my of my parents' house when I moved back in when I was in my late teens, early twenties. You know, I moved out when I was seventeen. I moved back in when I was like nineteen because it didn't work out well, um, and I remember saying, well, like, who am I? Why am I here?" what's my purpose in life? And I just sort of reflected on these questions for like weeks, like, like no TV, no listening to anything, like barely came out of my room. Just like, okay, I need to figure out my purpose. Like, what am I going to do? Like a lot of us do, like, what's my purpose? I hear this from people a lot. And then eventually I think my dad was just super worried about me. And he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm, he was trying to sell this like medical product at the time. And he's like, why don't you come to this conference with me? And, uh, I think he just wanted to get me out of the house because he's like, he's gonna live down there the rest of his life, you know? And <laughs> starting and, to freak everybody out. Yeah, he's like, I don't know what we're gonna do with this kid. So I went, I remember I went to this conference, and there I met my first mentor who who like was presenting to me ideas that were different than anything I heard of. Right. And he was he talked to me about this idea of like mindfulness and meditation and you know, creating a vision of what you want to achieve and, you know, what healing is about and, and how, you know, you know how, how he knew how to eliminate emotional pain. Um, and and the, I remember the ideas and the concepts that he was sharing with me seemed a little bit crazy because um, they were just, you know, sort of, sort of um, things I'd never heard before at the time. And he presented an invitation to go live with him and, and like mentor with this guy. And he would teach me kind of what he knew about quote unquote healing. That's kind of how I got started. And I moved. People thought I'd lost my mind. My parents were super pissed off because I wasn't going to school and I went to go live with this crazy guy like in Boulder, Colorado, right? (laughs) And my friends thought I totally lost it, but I just knew like I had to do something different and this was different than I knew. And so I went. Like I had no idea if it was going to work out. I didn't know if I was going to fall on my face. Like I just went because when you're in a lot of pain, all of a sudden you're like, I'm willing to do anything to make change. Like all of a sudden those two ingredients around high achievers fall into place, right? You're, you're aware that you want something different and you're willing to take action. See, I think
0: that awareness is not, that doesn't seem like that's a, a, a normal thing or, or a majority of people don't have that awareness of, I want something better than this, at least at, not at that age of
1: 17, 19 years old. Do you feel like, I mean, yeah, you, you I talk think, to a lot uh, more people about this than I do. But. I mean, when I meet, like when I train a lot of kids that age this day, yeah. the, today, I feel like they aspire to something different, but they don't, the thing that was unique that I did that I think is a little bit uncommon, I didn't realize it at the time, is that, is that they go to traditional methods for how to answer, I want something better. Yeah. So I think they go, I want something better. But then they go to the people that they trust and rely on to give them what is that better step. And they go to their parents or they go to their teachers and they kind of get what I think of as sort of traditional answers, which is like, just go to school, get your degree, get a job yeah, and like hard. Fig- work hard and it all work out. And I think that they get that answer a lot, even though it didn't actually work for the people that are telling them to do exactly that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like my advice to, to young adults, like when I work with them is very different. I say, listen, you're not supposed to know what you want to do right now. Like you're you're supposed to be uncertain and you don't know the world yet. So like just go try stuff and just have experiences and then eventually name what you want to do and then go after it. One thousand percent. And don't don't worry that you don't know what you're going to do right now. Your job is just to try stuff try stuff on, like you try clothes on and you're like, Oh, I like that shirt. I don't like that shirt. Try another shirt. Like, like, Hey, go go to school. Yeah. That's probably a good thing to do. Like I would not recommend my path. It made, it was much harder, like entrepreneurship and building a business and like, like figuring it out along the way is, is definitely not for the majority of people. Like I, I absolutely believe most people should go to school, get a degree and at least have that foundation. But then it's like, you should try different things. Like take a job for six months, take a job for a year, you know, just try obscure stuff. And I think we learn what we really want by way of having experiences and and kind of exploring and realizing, I don't like this. But we don't know we're gonna not like it until we do it. And then a lot of times we try stuff, like literally because we should just do it. And then sometimes we come across stuff, we go, you know, I kinda enjoy this, kinda like this. And then it's through that process that we ultimately name what is ours to do or this idea of vision and purpose, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's a mistake for people to think they're supposed to know what they wanna do. I think that's what derails most people because the majority of people find what they're going to do through the process of experience and trying things on.
0: Sure. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people feel like it's at some point they get, they get to a point in their life and they, they feel like it's too late to try new things. You know, I mean, I feel like there's, there's people that, uh, they, they kind of just go through the system, right. And they kind of are cruise control. And they're like, I'm going to go through high school. I'm going to go to college get my degree and then I'm going to get a job and then I'm going to get married and have kids and have a house. And then they're doing, they look back and they they find themselves in this position of, um, you know, am I really enjoying this? Is this, you know, like you said, they came, maybe they came across something that was maybe lit them up a little bit and they're like, Oh, this is kind of fun, but they didn't really go down that path. Um, but then, you know, like, well, now I've, I've got these bills, I've got this mortgage, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of too late for me to, shift, you know, um, but it doesn't, I mean, I guess you're saying it's never too late, right?
1: (laughs) I I don't think so. I mean, one one of my favorite examples of this, you know, I follow, follow people playing big games and, you know, Warren Buffett is one of the most successful, um, financial investors of all time. And, and I mean, if you look up his history, right? I mean, he was literally failed business after failed business and basically broke until his like mid or late fifties. And then he kind of found the niche and and he's like one of the wealthiest people in the world now, right? He's like a billionaire. And so like, I I think about him, like, like failure after failure, looking around and going, oh, you know what? Like, it's probably too late for me. Like, like a lot of us would probably do after a lot of failed attempts in your past, you're in your, your midlife now or a little bit past that. Like a lot of us can go, yeah, it's too late for me. Right. But I think that it only becomes too late for us if we decide that it's too late for us. Mm-hmm. And we listen to that what I think of as inner programming, right? Or the, 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 the fears that come up, like, well, how am I gonna support my family or, you know, I spent all this time in this job and what if I have to start over? And we, we we come up with these reasons why we shouldn't do something without even realizing that we're coming up with the reasons why we shouldn't do it. And if we look at the reasons that that we come up with as to why we shouldn't do something, like Like it's anchored in fear of how it's not gonna work out, right? And it's that emotion of fear that keeps us from doing it. Or it's an emotion of obligation, like, well, this is what I committed to do, and I've got people that rely on me, or you know, whatever it is. And so it's that emotion of obligation that keeps us there. And then we tell the stories that reinforce that idea. If we start to tell different stories and we start to to give ourselves permission to hope a little bit, right? Different emotion, hope, like Um, or or just sort of inspiration, right? Start giving yourself permission on what could life look like? Like, hey, if I gave myself permission to have life look like anything I wanted, what would be the thing that would interest me? What would be the thing that I would love to do or, or have a passion for? And then start changing the script to what are the ways I could achieve that? What are the reasons why it can happen? What are the examples out there in the world, like the Warren Buffetts, right? Or the Elon Musk, or like all these big names we see. And we go like, well, wait a minute. What if I gave myself permission to believe that it is possible, and I started to look to ways in which I can make it happen? Like, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but like just that half a degree rotation of, of looking at life through the lens of, of the theme of why I can't, and, and we start to just give ourselves permission as to why I can and how it could occur, like starts to nudge us in the direction of realizing that it's possible, and and discovering how we could, could make that happen. But but it's the again we go back to an inner shift has to occur in order for outer results to to follow, regardless of, of if we're making a change or or we're just starting off and want to see something happen.
0: So y- earlier you said uh, that with with in high performers, right? Like because uh, you you work with a lot of. Um, CEOs and um, like fortune, what, 500, 100 companies. Mm-hmm. And um, so what's that, common, what's that common thread that you said that is the, the common thing that keeps
1: showing up from, from all these high performers? I think that, that like fundamentally, there's a sense of like number one, an aspiration to know something beyond where they are. Yeah. Right, like regardless of what their results are, they just want to see, am I capable of the next step? Mm-hmm. And, and what am I capable of? What's my potential? They just simply aspire to something better than they know. Mm-hmm. And then second, they're willing to take action toward it. Right? So instead of like a, a reason why I can't move toward it, they come up with reasons why they can do it and the way they could move toward that next step and what the next step would look like for them. And, and they do this habitually. It's just perpetual in the way that they orient to the world. Yeah. Right? It's like, like evolution is ingrained in them. Right. But but whether we you know, you know, I think that's common for entrepreneurs or, 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 or top CEOs, et cetera, because without that, they don't get there like they never achieve that level. Right. But I think that there are tons of people in the world who who that's just not even of interest to them. Right. Maybe biking is their thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that same thing of like, Hey, I want to see what I can achieve. Right. Like you, like, I don't know, like, why does a person get on a bike and go 300 miles? Like, that's crazy. I would never do that. Like, like I get the done in three months on my bike. Right. (laughs) Like maybe. Right. But it's like, it's probably because you did a hundred and you just want to see if you can do two. Right. Yeah. There's
0: like a, a something inside that wants you just to see how far you can push your body, you know, like personal achievement, you know? To, yeah. uh, something to strive to be better
1: sure I guess, e- right? exactly and, I, and some people are just like they're a parent and they just want to go you know what i want to nail this parent thing yeah. like i want to i want to be the great the best influence on my family i can be and they look at well how can i do that a little bit better today than i did yesterday and what would it look like if i nailed it tomorrow and did it a little bit better yet and it's the same thing, right? Oh, I have this idea of, of what I want to aspire to beyond where I am, and I'm willing to take action toward it. Like, like if we dial those two things in and we make it real simple, like if we look at our life, regardless of where we're at, and if we just look at our life as to where we are right now, the relationships we have, the business we're in, the, the job we have, the money we make, the level of health we have, our fitness level, like, like just live holistically and we go okay, am I, am I okay with where I am? I think the, I think most people would say no, right? Mm -hmm. The average person, if I talk to a hundred people, I think 90 of them or more would say, no, I'm not really okay with where I am, even if where they are is pretty good. Right. And, and then you go, well, where would you like to be? This is where it tends to break down because they don't have an answer for where they'd like to be. They haven't named something for themselves yet. I think of it as like, like vision, like we hear about vision, mm-hmm. right? And as soon as we just name where we'd like to be, that isn't where we're at. Now, all of a sudden, we have an option of somewhere to go. Now, the next step is, am I willing to simply take a step in the direction? We don't need to know how it's going to happen. We just need to be willing to start moving in that general direction, whether it's read a book or talk to a friend or, I don't know, take some course or seminar, or just start thinking about it. If we're not thinking about it previously and give ourselves permission to go there. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like small gains, right? Kind of like in athletics. It's like, oh, they make this small gain and they they, they took one step toward something better than what they currently know. And then, you know, maybe they find it and then they repeat that step. And then you repeat that step and you repeat that step. And if you repeat that step, you know, a hundred times over, you repeat that step a thousand times over, all of a sudden you look around and you're like, whoa, like, like, I didn't realize this could occur for me. Like, when I look at my life today, there's a part of me that had a vision and aspiration of it, say, 20 years ago when I started all the things that I do today. But now that I'm here and I look around, it's kind of like, it's kind of like eerie. You go like, wow, this really happened. Like, I really bridged this gap in in every area of life. Like, my relationships are great. And and like, the people in my life are outstanding. And the amount of money that I have access to or the wealth that I built... Like I, I grew up very modest, right? I didn't have anybody of like wealth and affluence around me growing up. Matter of fact, my family, you know we lived uh, you know vacation was going to my, my my grandmother's farm, where like all my family lived on the same five acre little plot of land in Almogorda, New Mexico, and actually it's called Bull's Acres, New Mexico, um, which is like just, just out in the middle of nowhere, right. Yeah. And they all have their trailer house on the on the land, and that's that was like every summer vacation for us, was just sort of like outside, like messing with horny toads and stuff. So like when I think about where I began, and like and I look to what what I was able to achieve where I am today, it was literally following that formula of hey, even though where I am is okay, I want something a little bit better and different, and I'm willing to take the step toward it, and like and then I just kept following those the next step that made sense i i didn't look at like you know how do i make 100 million dollars it was like i make 997 bucks a month how do i hit 2000 and then i hit two and was like well can i can i do three can i do five can i do ten and it was like just like how can i get a little better at this how can i get a little better at this Mm -hmm. you know martial arts is the same like i wasn't a great martial artist my my master believed in me and and he was like oh here's how you get a little bit better and then all of a sudden, I kept getting a little better, a little better, a little better. And the next thing you knew, it was like I was winning stuff. It, like something you were saying Then I looked around. I was like, okay, the first time, maybe it was a fluke. Maybe it was an accident. I got lucky. But yeah. then I did it a second year in a row and I did a third year in a row. And then I was like, something happened here to create this result. Like, what was it that that occurred? And why did, it, like, why did that occur for me when it didn't occur for other people? And what I realized was it really was that formula of consistently being like, like, I don't want to say not okay with where I was, but, but I'll say accepting where I was and enjoying where I was, but simply not satisfied with it and, and being willing to commit to just that next step. And, and sometimes it looked like, oh, I need to do this kick a little faster mm-hmm. or I need to get a little better with this form. It was never a big jump. It was always like this little incremental thing. One percent here. like this little there. adjustment. But the key was that that was a way of being, right? That perpetuated over time, and that's what creates extraordinary results. You see, every high performer I ever met, when I first started working with them, I remember when I when I first worked with some of my what what we would think of as high profile clients, and they achieved things like fame, right? Like a famous actor, actress, or, you know, a CEO of a fortune 100 company, or like a very successful entrepreneur or something like this. And I used to think like when, I, when going to like their house or going to meet with them, cause that's, I, I lived in LA at the time. That's kind of where I got started. I would be thinking in my mind, like, what am I going to do for these people? Like they've, they've, they've achieved like what we think of as the idea of everything. And, you know, it would show up there and they were usually, you know, um, if i 'm honest, like I was there because they were in a lot of pain um, they 'd achieved in the outside world or, or sense of things like crazy success um, private jets and cars and multiple houses and they had a family and you know beautiful kids and like all the things that we think are supposed to make us feel great, but they didn 't feel you know accomplished they didn 't feel joyful they didn 't feel happy they didn 't know peace and and I remember like like as soon as I met them and realized that they didn 't essentially feel good in life, I knew I could do something about that. I could train them how to be happy, how to be fulfilled, how to know peace. Um, but when I look at, well, how did they create these results that they created? It was literally because they, they simply followed that formula. They didn't start there. Like most of my clients, especially in the beginning, weren't like inheritors of a bunch of wealth. They, they started from nothing, but they just believed in the next step. And they had an idea of like, I want to go big at some point, but they really just believed in the next step and the next step. And then eventually that energy compounded over time. and became something extraordinary in terms of how we look at it. But essentially every high performer I ever met started as an everyday person. They weren't like smarter than everybody else, right? They, they weren't some like savant right? There was nothing sort of, you know, unique or special about them in the way that I anticipated I was going to discover. Like, I thought I was going to follow, you know, find like a savant or like somebody with crazy high intelligence and just like an anomaly inside of human beings. But the more I got to know them, they all struggle with the same things we all do. They all started from humble beginnings. They literally just did this one thing that, that most people don't do, which is they named their next step and they went for it. And they, even if they were Happy with where they were at, they weren't satisfied with where they were at. And for me, I think that's the that's the key, is 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 training ourselves to that place where we feel grateful for and, and happy with where we are, because that's an inner game that has nothing to do with the results that we get, because if the results translated to fulfillment and happiness. Well, then when I worked with a billionaire, I worked with these people who achieved external results. Like I would have no purpose there because they would be happy. They would be fulfilled. They would, they would, they would have all the things like we create in our imagination. And so, you know, I was happy and fulfilled in the front end of my journey, meaning I didn't have anything. I, I, I didn't have a place to live. I lived out of my car, you know, I like, like people let me live with them for free, which was super nice of them. But they probably got annoyed with me after a while, which is why they were like, Joey, you should probably like start charging people, and get a job or something. But I remember I was, I was truly happy and fulfilled. Like I felt great and and I didn't have the things. And then, you know, I just decided to start creating in that direction. And you know, that, that happiness and that fulfillment drove my action. And then for me, it was the same thing. Like what I noticed was I found, I got on a track of, being super grateful for where I was just like I am today. Like I'm so grateful for the life I know today. I feel very lucky. I feel very appreciative of all the things that I know, but I'm not satisfied with where I am even a little bit. I, I wanna know what can I realize in this life? What's the potential I can realize, you know, um, come to know? And I think everybody has that in them. I think it's innate as, as just evolution. I think that that's a primal instinct for us to grow beyond where we are just from a survival perspective. And if we learn to harness and focus that, it's a powerful thing.
0: Yeah, and I I think that that's the thing that for me, whenever I was in that place of I'm not satisfied with with where I am, Um, I know I can achieve more, but I wasn't sure, and I, I felt like that was the missing link, you know, was that mental work, right? Like the internal work. And I didn't know what that step looked like. You know, and I, I, for me, I remember thinking about at the time, I was like, man, how do you get like this, this stronger mindset, you know? And then I was like, to get a stronger mind, like, what do I, do I need to start doing more like long division? Do I need to like do, you know, like Sudoku puzzles? Like, how do I like, train my mind? And it, of course that's not, you know, cause I was thinking in the, from that personal trainer type of, of mentality of like. If I'm doing all this work on the bike or in the gym to get stronger physically, how do I do that mentally? And that's when it, it kind of clicked, you know, I was like, oh, it's like this mindfulness, right? Like this that's the 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 word that I was looking for, like the descriptive word that I didn't have. Um and so it, that that imposter syndrome, you know that I was talking about earlier, is that it sounded like you even had that a little bit whenever you started seeing success as a martial artist and, and like, is this a fluke? Am I as good as, as my results show? How did you deal with that? You just kind of kept, kept
1: reassuring yourself or reaffirming it. Yeah. Well, well, I think there was, there was, there's two things, right. And, and to what you were saying about like, how do I create mental strength? Um, you know, people, I'm sure like, like, like you have a ton of people who come to you and go make me better on a bike. Mm -hmm. And, and, and like, you know, the formula for that, Mm -hmm. right? Like you, like, like whatever that training regimen is and the nutrition plan they need to follow, like you can give them the steps that will just, if they follow it, will make them stronger on a bike. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Yeah. And even like, even if you're working with somebody at a high level, Mm -hmm. you can still show them like, Hey, let's talk about what you're doing and let's talk about what you can do to get stronger on the bike. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So for me, you know, it's a little bit more more intensive than just m- the idea of mindfulness or meditation because I find a lot of people will, you know, they'll find like a mindfulness app, right? Or they read a book on an idea of mindfulness or meditation. And they think, oh, this is the way I get mentally strong. This is the way I can manage my emotions better. And especially because it's very popular today. Like 20 years when I was training people in this stuff, this was not popular at the time, right? right. It was kind of like yoga when it first came out where people are like, if you did yoga, you were an alien or you were in, a, in, a, in some weird cult or like, you know, you were betraying your religion or like people just kind of thought this was crazy, right. right? Today, it's on every corner and it's just like how you get fit. And it's a great it's a great thing for you. Right. That's kind of where mindfulness is now because, you know, top CEOs and like athletes and, you know, you know, people are like, yeah, this is definitely they, they credit that for their success. What do you think that tipping point was? Like, why did that, why did it tip from, well, for me, the tipping point was just because it works, right? Like what I found when I started this work and I was engaging with people was that, I mean, and and I don't mean this in a derogatory way because I think traditional methods help a lot of people in their right for a a particular space. But I was getting a lot of people that went the traditional route of, of maybe some kind of therapy or whatever was available, and it just wasn't getting the result that they were looking to get. I think it's very helpful and necessary in a place, and it can be so good for people depending on, again, the result that they're looking to get. But I found a lot of individuals are spending a lot of time and money in traditional modalities, whatever that might be for them. And it just wasn't like making them happy and fulfilled and giving them access to peace. And the things that they were looking to figure out or like figure out the logistics of life. And I found they came to me because, you know, even though it was a little bit fringe or like, I'm not sure what this guy's going to do, it got the result. Right. And then, and, and I think that that is what has driven people to understand this better. And when we and now what we have is we have science backing it up, which we didn't have two decades ago. So there's enough scientific studies like driven by the Dalai Lama and, you know, major institutions. I mean, just about every Ivy League school today is is pouring a ton of money into like the science of the brain and the effects of breathing on the brain, meditation on the brain, certain mindfulness techniques on the brain, et cetera, where it's like, oh, wait. There's things happening here. Like if you engage this practice, like if you take a live MRI of someone's brain, you can measure it and see what's going on there. And you can do six weeks of the correct internal training practice. And then you can take a live MRI of the brain after six weeks of practice. And you go, it's not the same. Like the prefrontal cortex got bigger and the amygdala got smaller. And the way the brain is functioning is just different after just six weeks of practice. So all of a sudden it starts verifying that this stuff just isn't it's not just woohoo it's actually we can show results Mm -hmm. so that was the big game changer was there was enough individuals putting science behind what was occurring because enough people were getting benefit from it they wanted to understand the why and then all of a sudden it got verified and then once you know once a few you know celebrities or whatever start picking it up it's a popular thing now everybody's doing it it's now okay and then we start realizing wait a minute this is working better than the stuff that's out there yeah Right. So the key is, just like training, like you can't just get on a bike and ride a bunch and you can't just follow any method or program. There's thousands of them out there. Some of them will get the results, many of them won't. And so I find the same with internal training. Like like you have to know the right strategy, the right technique, the right inner training method to get the result you're looking to get. And then if you follow the system, it's gonna get the result. Like just like if you show up to the gym, you wanna get better on a bike. You follow this trainer's method, it's gonna get you better. Same with internal training, same with like emotion, same with mind. And so if you're following the right method, the right system, the right strategies, you're doing the right things at the right time, it's going to work and and work very quickly, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's where you need a professional to to
1: help you. Yeah, exactly, because especially today, like everybody decides they're doing mindfulness, this or that, and they kind of put this term on it because it's popular, right? But, you know, you've got to make sure that the right, this is why I use the word internal training. I don't use meditation. I don't use the word mindfulness because um, then we think like anything with that label is going to hit the mark. And then people try something inside of the mindfulness or meditation category and it doesn't maybe get the result they're looking for. And then they go, oh, that that didn't really work for me. It's like, no, it works. You just, we didn't do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So so for me, it's like we need to take these components, right? Like if you want to get better on a bike, you got to eat a certain way. You got to eat the right foods, you got to eat the right times, right? You got to fuel properly beforehand, you got to recover, right? And then you got to like move properly. There's certain exercise you want to do. You probably aren't lifting heavy weights and bulking up if you want to be fast on a bike, right? Like there's, there's certain training methods that are good for certain things like lifting heavy. That's probably not what you want to do if you want to be fast on a bike because you don't want an extra 30 pounds,
0: right? right to, upper body To, to lug weight, around yeah. or whatever.
1: And so it's like, oh, no, there's a specific way to do this if you want to get that result. And so internal training is like, well, what's the result you want to get? Let's name that first. If you want emotional strength, if you want mental um, you know, uh, capacity or increased mental stamina um, or increased ability to focus, uh, et cetera, well, there's a way to train each of those different things. We got to make sure we're doing the right things.
0: Yeah. So in the in, endurance world, you know, the, the kind of buzzword is, you know, what's your why? You know, and that's, and some of that has to do with like, you know, when you're doing these, these crazy long events, like there's a guy right now that's doing the, um uh, the Iron Cowboy. He did uh, a couple of years ago, he did 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 States in 50 days. And so now he's doubling down. He's doing it from his house. So he's not traveling, but he's doing a hundred Ironman triathlons in a hundred days. So he's in the pool first thing in the morning and then on the bike. And then doing a run, he's finishing at like, you know, 10 or 11 at night, goes to bed, wakes up and does it again. Right. So at some point you look at that and like, what is your why? Like, why are you doing that? You know, what is the point? You know, and um, and I think in in like you talk a lot about your vision, like having that, finding that vision, defining it and um, and then moving toward it, like creating it and moving or, or defining the, the vision and then moving toward it. So, you know, it seems like that's one of the most important elements. So explain why having a vision is, is so important for that, that personal growth.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people, they, they ask the question, what is my purpose? Mm-hmm. And, and they relate to the idea of purpose. Like it's this thing that they're going to discover or happen upon one day or they're going to find it. And then once they find it, all the lights are going to turn on. They're going to know why they're alive, why they exist, and then they're going to drive toward something great. And then, boom, like, like that moment, everything changes. And it's not really you know, the way it works. Um, what I find is that people who actually achieve things that, that they want to achieve, um, and they, they fulfill uh, what they want, they're happy with their life, they went about it differently. They stopped and they said what's important to me and what do I want? And they, and they named, they declared their purpose, right? They said, this is who I'm going to be about. This is what I'm going to be about. And they just started moving in a direction, kind of like I was sharing earlier where I tell kids, like, just go try stuff out and then something's going to ignite you and then decide that's what you're going to do. But don't feel like you're supposed to know what it is, right? You, you should just name what you're going to be up to. And when we have vision, that that is what declares purpose. When we decide what we're going to achieve or what we're going to go after or who we're going to be or the impact that we're going to have, now we have a reason for getting up in the morning and we have context now for every decision that we make. Without vision, we're we're kind of like a boat in in, in the ocean and we have no sail or rudder. And you know, people like romanticize this and, and it's kind of like the idea of like, oh, I'm just gonna go with the flow and see where it takes me, you know, or maybe like mm-hmm. a spiritual idea of like this is this is awesome. But what I notice is that people who sort of don't have a destination declared for themselves that they're working toward, um, they are like this sort of sailless, rudderless boat in the ocean. And you might get lucky, and, and, and the current might take you to a really cool place. Like you might end up on the, I don't know, the, the, the beach of Hawaii, right? And, and more likely than not, you're, you're gonna end up in a hurricane and drown, right? If you're not navigating yourself in some way. And so as soon as you declare a vision for yourself, doesn't matter what it is. And you say, ah, that is the outcome that I'm going to fulfill. Now, all of a sudden you, you wake up in the morning and you have a reason to live that day Mm -hmm. and it's for whatever that vision is. Right. And it's gotta, it's gotta be important to us. But now all of a sudden we're not just making choices and decisions at random based on how we feel. We're now making choices and decisions based on like, what do we need to do? What are the adjustments we need to make to take that small step in, in a direction so that this vision, this outcome occurs. And you know, it, it, there is no wrong vision. We just have to name something that we're going to work toward. Because what I find, it, as I said earlier is, you know, there's been things that I've named that I wanted to create and an outcome that I wanted to fulfill in every different aspect of my life. And then I set out to do it and then I fulfilled it. And then after fulfilling it, I stopped and I went, yeah, I didn't really like any part of that. And, and I don't really care for what I'm doing right now. And and then all of a sudden I stopped, but then it informed the next thing that I chose to go and create, or the vision that I aspire to, and then that got a little better. And then there were still elements of it that I didn't like and I didn't care for, but there was no way to know that until I just did the thing. So vision makes, makes two key things possible. Number one, it gives us the ability to focus. And, and if we don't have a target named for ourselves, well then what we end up doing is we just focus on what's in front of us, or where most people go, because of some, some brain science, is you know, we go to what's not working, or we start thinking about the past, right? And as soon as we go, this is the vision I'm looking to fulfill, now we can do nothing more but just pay attention to it, focus on it, put energy toward it. And then the second thing it does is it, is it ignites purpose, right? Like, 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 like passion, inspiration, enthusiasm. Um, and then it creates a reason to move away from something, right? We, we have, we have a, a reason for what we're doing. Like when I look at what I'm doing today, um, there are two reasons why I do what I do today. Uh, number one it 's so i' never end up back where I once was like 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 each day when i when I look at the life i 'm living or I want to do a little bit better it 's so i don 't end up back in the pain that I once knew i don 't think about that much but it 's still ingrained in my nervous system and in my 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 uh, emotional unconscious, even though it was something long ago and then when I look at the other side um, it 's because i 'm excited about what i 'm going to discover next because it 's been really you know, freaking cool, like every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And then when I look at, you know, um, the way a lot of people live their life, like there's nothing that lights me up more than like talking with somebody about what they would like to achieve for themselves and seeing them get excited about that, see that wake up in their heart and like them kind of believe like it's possible and then give them the toolkit to, to see it happen and watch them realize it. Um, you, know, you know, you know, give people the toolkit to literally name what they want to create in life and then go do it like that that lights me up more than anything else I do today. So it's like, like when I wake up each day, like that's my purpose. Like that's, that's what I wake up. That's my job that day is to, what can I do today to support a person, to name something they want to create for themselves beyond what they know and how to make it happen. So that's your current vision. That's it. Yeah. And you know, I've got a number tied to it. Like I look at like, like how can I do that for a million people? Mm-hmm. Cause I know if I know if I can do that for a million people, I can do it for 10 million people mm-hmm. that started with five. Like how can I do that for five people? Like we talked about those incremental gains. And then I showed up and like I worked with clients and they said, you know, I just want to be happy. Like at the end of the day, I have all this money, I have all this fame, I have all this success. I just want to wake up and feel good. And like, oh, we, we made that happen. And then watching what it meant for their life and what it meant for their kids and what it meant for their marriage and you know, all the other things, like that was awesome. And then other people were like, you know, I just want to find a romantic partner. Like that was their vision. And then seeing them like fulfill that, right? And then it was like each thing that came along when they said, I want to create X, I was I was I became obsessed about how to make that happen. One because I was a really little interested in it, but more I just wanted to see it happen for them because that was their thing, right? And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, we like we made we made this thing happen for twenty people, right? Like I, I created something I wanted to you know create and fulfill in my life, and then we did it. Um, great. Now let's do it for a hundred. Let's do it for a thousand. Let's do it for ten thousand. So,
0: in the in the as a coach working with athletes, and then personally myself, and this ties right into what you're just talking about with those um, the vision and knowing where you're going, and then when you when you get there, right? Like so you, you saw that with you started out with working with five people, and you said I want to see this change for five people, and then that shifted to now you're talking about a million people. Uh, goals is an, is a a term that gets thrown around a lot in the sports world of, you know, my goal is to be a world champion. My goal is to win an Olympic medal or to win a national championship or maybe just to, to finish this race, whatever the goal is for, for have, I feel like you have to define that. We always go through this process with, uh, with athletes of defining your goal for the season, defining your career goals, and then um, at the end of the season, we, we look back and say, how did we do? You know, and where do we need to improve? So, um, so explain the difference between a goal and a benchmark, and then where does intention fall in there?
1: Mm-hmm. I think of goals and benchmarks as one and the same. They're just two two words for describing the the same the same idea. Well, right? so is is your goal the same as your vision? Those are different, I think. Right. Okay. So, like the reason I orient around the word benchmark is because just the way we kind of emotionally relate to the idea of benchmark is it's a step in a direction. A goal tends to be for more people, like a finite thing, like, Oh, I accomplished the goal. Now I'm done. Okay. Right. But semantics, right. For me, it's like the more important question is, well, why am I doing this? So if I have an idea of, of a certain level of accomplishment that I want to get in racing, Mm Like, I think it's important to start with a question of why do I want to do this? What is it going to mean for my life? So if I accomplish this thing called a world championship, like, okay, great. I did that. What does it mean for my life? Mm -hmm. Why do I want to do it? What will it mean for my life? And then if we get clear on that and it really is connected to the essence of who we are in our heart, now we have a driving force to move toward those benchmarks And, and if we relate to a benchmark as though we're constructing the reality of, of, of our life, as opposed to I've just accomplished this thing, that's going to be meaningful for me in a completely different way than, um, if I'm, if I just kind of checked the box. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, if we look at, um, one of my favorite things is like, like, like watching the interviews at the Olympics. Like I love watching the Olympics like many people do and seeing people in a space of mastery with themselves. What I love more is, is listening to the athlete's story about why it became important to them. And almost never does it have to do with necessarily the thing that they're up to, right? Like if it was gymnastics, they never say like, oh, I just love gymnastics. Right. And gymnastics is just my whole life. They go, oh, well, I realized that this was a way out of something for me. And, and if I accomplished this thing, I, I realized what it would mean for my family. Mm-hmm. And so it was like they kind of they tied this life purpose to it. And then they decided this was the vehicle to fulfill this, this, this thing that was important to them. But the thing that was driving them was, um, was whatever was connected to their heart. And then they just focused it through gymnastics or biking or martial arts in my case or business in other people's cases, right? They got clear about what it would mean for them. If I ask entrepreneurs, like, why, like, why do you do this? Why, why are you driven by the success, right? The, the, I was talking to a guy just this week, new client I took on, and um, he's the one that said, I want to increase my, uh, you know, my, my wealth 300%. And I said, you know, I always have to ask specifics. And I'm like, well, what does that mean for this person that I'm talking to? Because it's different for somebody who makes $5,000 a month to say they want to double their income. And it's very different like this guy who is making a million dollars a year who says he needs to make $3 million a year. And it's like, well, why do you really want to do that, right? And he's like, well, I want to be accomplished. I was like, well, aren't you already accomplished? Like, by most people's standards, by 99.99999% of people, if they looked at you inside of business, would, would like, like the idea of what you've accomplished is just a fantasy for them. Like they can't even imagine that as being possible for them. Like, like everybody sees that you're already accomplished. I'm like, well, what does that word accomplish mean to you? Like, like, I don't know. Like, where do you go with that? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I used to play sports and I was pretty good at it. And when I did a good job, you know, my mom was really proud of me. My dad was really proud of me, all these kind of things. So, oh, so accomplishment means accolades. That means connection for you. So if you achieve something bigger, the idea is that you're going to feel better. And I go, has that worked out the last three jumps? Said, what do you mean? I go, well, from 500 grand, I'm sure you said I want to make a million, right? That's usually where they pick that number for whatever obscure reason, right? I know that like if I'm talking to somebody really successful and they tell me that they want to make $2 million a year and they make a million or they want to make 10 million because they only make five. Like I know if they say that, that they want to make two, it's because they make a million. Mm-hmm. And if they say a million, I know that they probably pick that number around five. I don't know why people do that. They do like it's 250, they, they just double it or something, okay. right? It becomes possible. And, and so I go, well, did it work the first three jobs? Like, did it work from 250 to five and from five to a million? And he goes, well, no, I actually feel worse, <laughs> right? Yeah. But if we understand, like, if we have a deeper reason to it, which is now what people usually start searching for it on the back end, if they get there and they go, well, now, what is this supposed to mean for me? Oh, I want to make a difference in people's lives. I'm going to give to charity. I'm going to, they start kind of looking for the meaning after the outcome sometimes. But a lot of times if we do that, we never get there. So if we ask the question in the front end, what will this really mean for my life? And we make sure it actually will mean that for us. Now achieving the benchmarks is easy because we have the fuel to get there. You have passion. You have inspiration. You have the fear driving you of, of if you don't accomplish it and you fail, what what does that mean? Like maybe you failed yourself, maybe you failed your family, maybe you let somebody down. Like, like those are the forces driving us all the time. A lot of us just don't know to stop, take, take a moment, pay attention. Maybe we need a little assistance to find what are those love and fear-based driving forces at an emotional level that actually has us want to accomplish this thing. And so what do we believe it's gonna mean for my life if I fulfill it? Double check, make sure that the fulfillment of that vision outcome will actually mean that. Now you name a benchmark and that's your full fuel to get to that benchmark. Like you're going to break through it. And then you're just going to set another one and another one. And you're probably going to fulfill the thing you set out to fulfill, even if it's a lofty vision or, or grand vision. And you're probably just going to go beyond it. So sometimes it is fear that's driving it. Sometimes it is
0: like a, a fear, like you said, like I don't want to be back where I was. I don't, I don't want to ever go back to that place. Right. So in, in, so having that's healthy, like to have a, a fear of failure or a fear of embarrassment or, well, I don't want to, f- To I want to set this goal. I want to create this because I don't want to, um, out of that fear of
1: like, I don't want to fail. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's health. Like, it's not that it's healthy or unhealthy. It's just what drives human beings. Okay. So So if you think about the neurology of the brain, we all have this fight or flight system in the brain and that's tied to whatever we tie fear to. So, so fear is going to drive every human being. Um, the idea of love, like when I say love, I mean love-based states, right? We're, we're, we're now in that, uh, we're, we're out of the fight or flight system in the brain, we're more in the parasympathetic system of the brain and we're driving from our prefrontal cortex. That's what, when I say love or like fear, I mean it more neurologically, not necessarily like esoterically, right? It's more of a nervous system drive. Love is driving all of us, period, end of, end of story. Like we're all driven by love, we're all driven by fear at the end of the day. What we have tied fear and love to is different for every one of us. So some people, yes, they, 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 what drives them is the fear of failure. If what's driving us is the fear of failure, I don't want to say that that's unhealthy. It's going to be painful, and we're never going to get out of that pain. Because no matter what level of success we achieve, if the fear of failing is driving us, we're basically in a lot of pain as we drive the entire process. And when we arrive at the destination and then look around and go, wait a minute, I still have all this pain and then it's still going to drive us. And so it's kind of like, if that's how we tie fears, I'm afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a painful journey, right? I'm not going to say it's unhealthy or healthy because maybe at a point in time, it serves somebody to get out of a really bad situation. Mm -hmm. What we must do are like, when I look at at, at the system of training that I've developed inside of Intermatrix Systems, we teach people how to identify these forces of fear and love and then how to tie it to the right spaces in life consciously so that those drivers are moving us not only toward the outcome we want to achieve, but in a way that we can really enjoy the process, where, where the process is filled with, with, the majority of the process is filled with fun, inspiration, passion, you know, um, happiness, peace, etc., as opposed to driving that exact same journey inside of anxiety and overwhelm and desperation and, and a sense of fear. Um, because both of those are powerful forces and will drive us. Um, if we can get inside of driving inside of that love-based state, we will accomplish more. Even if we're high performer, we've already accomplished a lot because we can think we have critical thinking. We have you know creative thinking. And just in terms of how the body works, um, the nervous system is designed to to ex, to kind of express love-based states as the majority of what we embody, right? Like, like peace or acceptance or joy, is what we're built to be inside of a majority of the time. Now, it's the exception for a lot of people today because we've kind of gotten triggered because of constant stimulus in these low-stress states, like constant low states of stress um, tied to things like you know, we're always on the, the email or the internet. I got to get the kids to school or did I remember the kids to school? Like, all the, like we're in constant go mode. A lot of us are in a low grade stress state as people think of it, which is a fight or flight response all of the time. And that that's just not what the nervous system is designed to do. So eventually you can drive hard, you're going to break, right? So if we look at our driving forces, um, okay, like when I feel that sense of fear, anxiety, overwhelm, well, what do I think about? What is it tied to? And is it linked for me in a way that's driving me toward the outcome that I want to achieve? But it also gives me permission to be in that love-based state most often. So if we take the example you just gave, which is fear of failure, we can re-identify failure, right? So instead of um, you know driving and looking at, I have to win because if I didn't, it means I failed. And then as we're training we we're afraid of not winning and then you know when we lose now we beat ourselves up for not winning and then when we win we, exp- we we get to appreciate it for a moment and then we're like oh my god i gotta do this all over again right like like that's how a lot of athletes drive and it's 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 not fun right yeah, you're but, only as
0: good as your last race and your last yeah, result all, all
1: that stuff right mm-hmm. if you make a small tweak and you go wait a minute like like redefine failure hey i only fail if i quit well now retired we failure to the one thing we don't wanna do, which is quit. So as long as I don't quit, then I'm not gonna experience that, that sense of failure and that overwhelm and desperation, and all that kind of stuff. And then if I'm thinking about quitting, it's gonna turn on for me and it's gonna keep me from quitting, hopefully, if I line that up emotionally properly, right? And then we can realign inside of something like, um, like hey, there is no failure, there's just you know, growth. Like I said, in terms of high performers, like, hey, I'm willing to better myself, I'm willing to take action. And the process of that is, is going to have some wins and some losses. The key is that I learn through my win and I, I learn and I grow through my loss. And if I do that consistently, I'm, I'm going to consistently get better and ultimately hit the mark and, and, and realize what I want to realize. Now, all of a sudden, the way I relate to the journey is, hey, it's fun. It's intriguing. It's curious, right? I can put passion in it. And now I've set myself up so that when I win, I can enjoy the win. I can go, hey, what did I learn from that? And I can move forward. And then if I lose, I can go, hey, I'm a little disappointed. That's natural. But then I can go, okay, well, what did I learn through that? What can I do better? Oh, I'm more equipped next time. Let's go. And and now all of a sudden the journey becomes a different game. And if I'm aligning with it that way, I'm going to have a lot more energy for the journey. It's going to be more enjoyable. My outcomes are going to be better. So I have a couple clients that
0: come to mind. One I was on the phone with yesterday. And... So when, when you set a goal, like they, they have, uh, the two clients I'm thinking of, they both set goals for, uh, cycling goals for this year, big events that are are pretty daunting. And they both have this pattern of setting that goal in, you know, late fall or, or early winter. And then the time comes like now, like we're, you know, this, this event, uh, is five weeks down the road and, he doesn't feel prepared. He feels like he hasn't been able to be consistent with the program and the training because of life has kind of gotten in the way, um, and now he wants to just bag the whole thing, just just bail out of the race and not even go. Um, so, do <laughs> so. This is where I struggle as a coach. Like I want to be supportive. Uh, of him and, and his, you know, his life stress that he has going on, you know, like he's trying to balance everything with work and family and everything. And he doesn't want to go to the race. And, and I know, and he admits that I can go and finish that race. That's a 200 mile race in uh, five weeks. I can finish that race tomorrow. Like I could go and ride 200 miles tomorrow and, and be able to do it, but he doesn't want to be able to just go do it. He mm-hmm. wants to go and do well. And like, well, what is, you know, I've worked with through that with him of like, well, what does define what well means? Like, what's a good finish for you? And, you know, he's like, I just don't want to feel like I, I don't want to be beat up. You know, I want to finish it and feel like I finished it in a, a reasonable, like respectable time. And I feel strong at the end. You know, I didn't feel like I was just completely crushed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So do I hold his feet to the fire and say, hey, man, you got, you committed to doing this follow it through or do you let him bail out or do you change your goal and say, Hey, there's a 100 mile option. So because as much of the, the actual event, like doing the event is, is the, the reward, but also just the camaraderie of being, Mm -hmm. you know, at the event with your friends and, you know, hanging at the house and and the stories after the, after the battle, you know, that's half the fun. Right. So, um, you know, where do you, how, how, much do you, you push the people to follow through
1: or how much do you let them change their goals? Yeah. Um, so, it, so it depends on, we go back to their why, right? And, and it's that question that we were talking about earlier. And like, like what I would do if he was my client is I would ask him the question, why are you doing this in the first place? Mm-hmm. And, and, and a great time to ask that question is when they want to quit because what's, what's, what's active and what is present is emotion. Like, I, I don't know what it is for him. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's a sense of failure. I think it's all those but things. But like in that moment, there, there's a ton of raw emotion. Mm-hmm. And if you wire that raw emotion properly, it'll drive the action toward the result that one wants to achieve if we understand how to train it properly, right? Like there's a, I, I look at it as there's this monumental amount of energy contained in that space. And we just need to know how to harness it and direct it. Now the key to doing that is we gotta get back to the vision is not winning that race or or whatever the goal is that he wanted to accomplish in that race or benchmark, as we said before. But like, well what what are you doing it? Why what will it mean if you hit that mark? Again, back to life thing, right? Oh, it's gonna mean that I, you know, um showed my my kids an example of something great you can can aspire to. They're gonna be proud of me. Um I'm gonna feel good and know that I can accomplish great things. Or you know, it's going to mean that I, that I broke through a fitness level and, and it's going to mean that I can do anything that I want in my life. Like, I, again, I don't know what, what that's going to be for this person individually, but it's like, why is it that you want to do this? Like, why is this important to you? And get clear on that, that vision mm-hmm. and that bullseye and that mark and, and then tie that, the, the fulfillment of this race to that mark. And so then the, the, the question well, is, is: Is ego enough to... <laughs> is this like, this is just to fuel my ego?
0: Is that enough? Well, th- that that's e- a,
1: that's a that, that doesn't mean anything that statement, right? It's going right. to fuel my ego. It's like, well, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So 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 let's say your ego is fueled. Well, what will that mean? What what does that translate to for you? Um, and and they got to get clear on, on on more what that is, okay. right? Because yeah. like it's going to fuel my ego is a very broad statement. Like yeah. and, and when people speak in broad terms, that tells me that they're not in touch with emotion. They're not in touch with what they feel about it. Really, like what does it really mean? it meant something when they set the mark, when they said, I want to win this race. You got to go back to that mark when they felt that love and that inspiration and, and like whatever had them set it initially, they tied that to a meaning for themselves mm-hmm. of what they believed it would provide, um, provide or what it, what it would mean if they accomplished it. You got to get back to that point. You got to tie them back to that. And then it's about, you know, training, uh, as I would say, the, the mental strategy That's going to not just support them to win that race, but the, but at the end of the day, it's not relevant if they win the race or not. Like really, like it's just one race out of probably many Mm -hmm. what's relevant is, will this mental strategy support me everywhere else in life. So I would look like, if it was my client, I would say, you should look at racing as a way to train your mental strategy. Similar to like you and I did. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would ask this individual, I would say, listen, I would really recommend that you, that you, that you ride this race. And then upon completing it, you are going to sit down and we're going to define what it means. And we're going to use the experience and we're going to leverage that experience to train the emotions so that you can hit that mark next time and, and dial in, you know, the right uh, emotional and mental training that's going to have you show up for your training next round. Because if you show up and, and, and he feels like he's maybe a little unprepared, right? And, and he's trying to avoid the pain of not being prepared. Yep. If we want to get better, we're going to go to the next step. We need to face it head on. And we need to overcome the fear of the failure. And we need to go out there and get our ass kicked, right? And, and you need to do the ride. And you need to like viscerally experience all the things that we're probably going to look forward to because we're not prepared. And then, and then upon completing it, and we don't get that result that we wanted to get, like feel that emotion of, of disappointment or pain or just like, like physical discomfort. And then when that's present, now we need to tie that to the right action. Because right? that's how the brain uh, gets wired. That's how the brain gets trained, is we feel intense emotion and then it links to stuff. So while he's experiencing that, it's going now. It's, go, now it's, now it's a matter of um, okay, let's define what it means. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't about winning or losing, it was about having an experience and then defining what that experience means so that it drives the behavior toward the outcome that we want to achieve, that vision. And if ultimately he does want to, say, finish in a certain level in a race, okay, we need to retie back to that benchmark by way of having the experience. If we avoid the experience, we'll never get to the benchmark. So an example of how to do that, like if I did the race and I would set this up for myself before I even started, which is, all right, um, I just learned why training is important, right? Because mm-hmm. like, like like feeling that discomfort all of a sudden will just naturally motivate you to remember that the next time you have 10 different reasons why not to train that day, right? right. But if you avoid the discomfort, Now you never have that leverage on yourself the next time a training session comes up.
0: Yeah. And then every time you, I mean, it's easy to set these goals whenever, you know, it's, it's warm and fuzzy and and feeling good. And then every time shit gets hard, you pull the pin and just say, well, it's it's okay to fail in this area of my life and just not follow through. So then that's going to
1: Mm-hmm. potentially yeah. carry over to like, every part like another of think about it is the way we do some things is the way we do all things. So if I say to you, um, if I say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this race on this date
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then that date comes and I made a commitment first and foremost to myself. Like I said, I'm going to do X on Y date and then, you know, that comes up and X comes up and then I don't do Y. Okay. Let's, let's imagine that's a habit. Now let's, let's say that becomes a routine and a way of being in my life. Where, where I feel inspired. Um, I have a vision of what I want to go toward, right? Kind of like we talked about before. I, I, I have an aspiration to go beyond where I am and I'm willing to motivate myself and take action toward it. And then the event comes and I bail. Well, let's pretend that that's, that's the way I've now taught myself to be in life. Okay, well, what happens when I've got, you know, a, a challenging event to show up for and it has to do with me showing up for my significant other, my spouse? And, and to avoid the pain, I, I don't show up right? Or um, I need to be there for my kid. Like, like if that is a way of being that now drives life, I commit to myself, I'm going to do X and then I don't fulfill. It probably doesn't get the result that we want in a lot of different areas. But if we train the way of being and we go, okay, what way of being is going to support me to realize the outcomes that I want to strive to period. And we show up for this event and it's really uncomfortable, but we do it anyway. Well, now all of a sudden we just changed our emotional lever quite significantly where let's say I commit to something that's a bit challenging. And I ask myself, should I show up for this? And it's going to take me nowhere near the level of discomfort that that race would. It's an easy yes. But if I avoid the discomfort of the fulfilling that which I committed to, well, now it's all relative, right? Kind of like you were talking about like racing. Oh, when I did 300 miles, I heard you say. Oh, 150 miles is no big deal, yeah. right? It's like relative now because you know what it takes to do that other thing. Now, 150 mile race is like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. No no issue. But yeah. at a point in time, that was scary. Yeah. So it's like when we kind of push ourselves to do the thing anyway and we're, we don't shy away from the discomfort, but we lean into it, temporary discomfort, which will mean sustained growth in this case, we we embrace it, we, we, we see it fit head on, and then we decide it's going to mean something for us. Well, now I go through that and I accomplish the win. I said I would do it and I fulfilled. hmm Right now, all of a sudden, I, I, I've leveraged this intense experience to program myself in a way where I'm going to perform better inside of whatever I focus myself on to whatever I put myself into.
0: And you're experiencing a new reality at that point. Completely. Right.
1: Like all of a sudden, the world is no longer the same after that one experience, that one moment. Right. Because fear is telling me I don't want to do it. So, okay, well, where else does that emotion of fear or anxiety or a sense of failure or insecurity or shame, it's probably shame, right, mm-hmm. is there prevalently in guilt. Well, if every time shame comes up for me, whether I notice shame is there or not, and then it and it leads to my no, it's the reason I don't do something, well then shame is the driving force in my life. Embarrassment is the driving force in my life. Whatever it is now becomes a driving force. But if you if you come head to head with that inner force of say shame or guilt or fear, whatever it is. And you, and you break through that Mm -hmm. and you go do the race. Well, now you've just sort of reprogrammed your, your relationship to that emotion of fear or guilt or shame in such a way where you said, you're not the boss anymore. I am. And now all of a sudden you now start retraining something where you go, Oh, when this shows up for me, instead of going to a no to avoid discomfort, I'm now teaching myself to go to a yes and to break through. And each time I do that at a higher level, all of a sudden it makes all these other things that seemed big before sort of insignificant. Like, like if we think about relativity, um, the reason why things don't seem so big anymore is because we handled something bigger across the board.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Millie CBD. These days, it seems like everyone's jumping on the CBD bandwagon. And with so many options out there, what differentiates one brand from the next? I've teamed up with Millie CBD for two reasons. All of their hemp products are grown and processed right here in Colorado, and the quality is second to none. In a world of CBD products, Millie stands alone. Check out all their amazing products at that's millie.co. That's M-I-L-L-I-E dot C-O. Use code FORM at checkout for 10% off your entire order. So is there is there a, a, like a trick that you could... Like a I don't know, like a tip I guess that if you because you're gonna bump up against that, right, they're gonna bump up this against this point of uncomfortableness, right like okay, this is the that that decision point of I'm either going to follow my pattern and pull the pins and just you know find the next thing that I'm gonna try to commit to and and not follow through with and versus pushing through this wall and in that uncomfortableness and in, in getting, achieving what you had set out to do, like, is there other than just like the training, you know, like other than like mm-hmm. in, in training? Cause, cause I think about it like I have an athlete, I can give them the, the program. They can follow it to a T. Ultimately I can't, I'm not on the bike. I can't do the ride for them. Even though I have all the confidence that they have done the right training and they're prepared 100% for it, they're the ones that have to pedal the bike, mm-hmm. right, on that day. So when it's a difficult situation, is there if – if you find yourself in a difficult situation or you're, you're about to enter a difficult situation, if you know, like, before the race starts, like, I know I'm not prepared, this is going to suck and it's going to be painful or, you know, like I, I did that 350 two years ago and everything was going great until it wasn't, you Mm -hmm. know, and I found myself on the side of the road at 4am contemplating, you know, the meaning of life. And like at that point, what is the, 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 I guess pattern breaker to get you back on track, to get you, uh, to, to push through that as opposed to just kind of just pulling the pins and, and saying, well, today's just not my day.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's, there, I think there's two things. One, one, there's the simple answer and then like anything, then there's the thing you have to do. So it becomes simple. Yeah. And, and without doing the thing that makes it simple, it's probably not going to work. But, but now we go back to, and my guess is, right. I don't want to speak for you, but my guess is if you look back to that moment when you're on the side of the road, you, you got in touch with some why, like we were talking about, and it wasn't winning that race. It was whatever the larger meaning was for you that you tied to mm-hmm. doing the race. Yep. And so it's, it's knowing what that is going into the event so that when it gets harder than you thought it was going to be, the, the, the thing that you go to or, or the key is, what is this going to mean? Mm-hmm. Like, wait a minute. Like, why am I doing this? And you go back to that vision and get clear about what the meaning was that you tied to doing it in the first place. And you realize that when you, if you execute, let's say you finish in this case, the race, um, it's not, it's not the finishing of the race that mattered. It was, Oh, I, I, I just realized that meaning that I tied to it. Yeah. Like I just guaranteed and I gave myself proof and evidence that I'm going to move in that direction toward whatever it is that i'm i'm ultimately aspiring to Mm -hmm. and 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 the statement that you used there was perfect right i I was contemplating the meaning of life Mm -hmm. you need to go in with what it means for your life before you start the race um when i used to train martial artists and and this Mm -hmm. is the case with with any athlete right um like we had to train the physical like you say when i put my athlete out there i know they're ready i know they're physically capable of doing the race and doing well because the training shows that, right? Equally amount of effort we need to put into training the emotional and the mental game because the body is going to quit, or excuse me, the, the mind will quit far before the body does. My martial arts master, when he would train us, used to say all the time, like, and he would always tell us this when we felt like we were going to die, of course, or, or in the harder training sessions. Um, and, and it was always, he said, listen, you absolutely are capable of this. And he knew that we were because he trained us. Right? And, and I can't tell you how many times that I persevered through a training session with him simply because he said, you can. And I had already written it off as, I'm going to pass out. I'm literally going to just collapse here. And, and it was just his words which went, your body can do it, your mind can't. And then if I stopped to pay attention, I was like, yeah, I've given up mentally right now. Emotionally, I'm, I'm done. But then just those words and that cue in that moment would sort of have me go to the place. Now, he didn't tell me where to find it. I had to find it. Um, and and ultimately, that was why I realized that I did well. And when I trained martial artists, I, I started to train not just them physically, but I trained them from the very beginning, also that emotional capacity. And that was the thing that, that, that made it so that more people succeeded. Without that, people either had to find that Emotional, mental strategy for themselves where they just never made it and they just wash out, right? But if they're willing to be up to the process and they realize it's as important as the physical conditioning they're doing, they can make themselves stronger mentally and emotionally than they, than they are physically. But, but they have to be willing to go through the training process like anything else, right? So that's the part that makes it easy is, is I've got to kind of, you know, train that emotional mental capacity along the way not hope that I can find that meaning in the moment when I really need it. Yeah. Like it's just going to show up. Yeah. And, and, and sure enough, like I put it to the test and I realized there was never a moment where my body wasn't capable of executing. If I got my emotion and my mind dialed to simply sort of like, like I know this sounds funny, but like accept the discomfort and move forward anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, like any time that I've decided that was the job, there was never a moment where the body gave out and, and, you know, I wasn't able to execute the, the times when I, when it stopped, it wasn't because the body, you know, fell apart and quit, especially when I was conditioned and training and in peak form, it was the mind that, that quit. Oh, I can't do this. Why am I doing this? I don't know why I'm out here. Oh my God, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be okay? Like as soon as the mental strategy falls apart, the physical falls apart. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the more extreme of an event we're going to go to, the stronger the mind needs to be, the more unshakable we need to train it to be so that it's just driving the goal, the outcome.
0: So was there, is there a, like a physical reset that you do when you like, you get to that point of like, okay, this is where I'm really going to have to
1: test myself uh, for me, I have a physical reset that I've trained. So, so I think that just like, um, we train, uh, you know, muscle movement or movement pattern, right. Mm -hmm. When you're an athlete, you train that by, by doing it over and over again. And then hopefully that reflex is there for you when you, when you need it, right. You've, You've trained it properly. You don't have to think about it. It's just there. It's the same when training emotion and mind, Because emotion happens in the nervous system, right? The 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 brain is driving thoughts in the mind. We can we can teach the body to cue certain emotions and and certain thought strategies, so that if we do fall into those weak aspects of the mind and and our emotional self, we can we can sort of cue that that strong emotional mental pattern by way of just a signal, right? And it can be something simple. So like for me you know, it's been the same since I was training as a, as a martial artist and and competing. Um, for me, I just, I just take a moment, like in the middle of what I'm doing and I just kind of, you know, get my back straight and I just take a deep breath in through my nose and I hold it for one moment. And then I let, I let my air out fast, like out of the mouth, right. (sighs) And then boom, like, like even just doing it just now immediately I'm focused and like it, it activates this like emotional resilience That i've reinforced over time and so the the way to do that is 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 decide what that cue is going to be for you that makes sense as the athlete that you are as an example if we're going to tie it to athletics like like maybe it's just hitting the handlebar twice Mm -hmm. right um you know or you know maybe maybe it is just sitting up straight on the bike for a moment and looking at the sky i mean it can literally be anything but it's like hey in those moments when you're training and you have not just that strength where you feel physically strong and unstoppable but emotionally and, and, and your mind, you just feel like, you know, I call it running through the wall, right? There's times for whatever reason, like when I'm working out with my personal trainer where I just feel unstoppable. Like I feel, I feel strong. Uh, I feel confident. Um, my mind is focused. My mind is fully present there. Like what we think of as the zone and it's just sort of amplified in those moments. I'll take that breath. Like, (sighs) because then it's like, okay, that's my way back there. And I call it running through a wall because I got the studio that I train out with my trainer. Like there's this, there's this brick wall. And I literally think like, I feel like I could just kick through that wall. (laughs) I could just run through there right now. You know, obviously I can't, but like, that's the experience that I'm in more emotionally and mentally. Physically, I'm executing the same thing I do, you know, know, three times a week, Mm -hmm. right? But for whatever reason, emotionally and mentally that day, I'm turned on different. Now, by way of reinforcing it now, when I really need it, I can pull on it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm there more consistently and more frequently, just, just like any training. So if we train it preemptively and we know how to do that, then when we need it in the event, we've got it. Like so I don't, You
0: you've come up with the, you, you come up with the, the
1: tell, right. Or the, the physical yeah. name, what you're going to train, yeah. like the emotion that I want to feel and, and the thought strategy that links it because emotion and thought are always connected, right? We never feel something without thinking in coherence with that emotion, right? Period. Like they're always tied together. So it's like, okay, the emotion that's going to serve me in this place in life is confidence or peace or whatever. Okay, here's here's the thought that I'm going to tie to it, right? And and the thought that I tied, right, to that that idea of strength and unstoppability was like, I literally hear you know, my, my master's voice when I used to, my martial arts master, when, when those moments when I didn't want to give up and his voice just kind of like, because I wanted to make him proud. And like, if he believed in me, I I could believe in myself. And so in that moment there was like, like hope, but then there was this this, like unshakable strength that I felt for a moment. And then the thought was the body can do it. The body can do anything that I'm going to, you know, tell it to do with the mind. And so it was like, the body can do it. The mind is strong enough. Right. So the body can do it. The mind is strong enough was sort of my anchor statement. And then the emotion that was there was just a sense of of unstoppable strength, is the is the word that I would half or just like unshakable confidence and joy, like like you just feel lit up, right? Um, and so define what that's going to be for you, like like what's the emotion, what's that that thought anchor? And then the key is when you're feeling it, not just thinking it, you've got to be in the experience of it physically. Have ha- do the physical thing that's going to be that anchor, that yeah. deep breath in and that out, or you know tap your fingers or take some position on a bike or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. The reason I did breath was because, you know, as a martial artist, I might be grappling and, you know, I could have somebody choking me or like, you know, my, like all these different things. And, but I could always take that breath mm-hmm. to just kind of center myself. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's just interesting
0: that you you reinforce it by whenever you have a good workout or you, you nail that interval set or you, you know, in your case, if you're having a, a good, uh, a, quote unquote good experience you know yeah. so that whenever things aren't going well you can tune into it and it's going to take you back to that
1: yeah. that mental place and it also teaches us to focus on that good experience or that yeah. or that zone or that, that thing we want to dial in because you know again training is repetition so if we, if we feel doubt in ourselves, we feel fear, we feel anxiety. Like we feel that because we re-engage it every day over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's become like a movement pattern in the nervous system. It's just become what our norm is. It becomes what, what we're, where we're used to driving if we start focusing on a new experience and we start activating that and we go back there again and again and again, we're training that new emotion. We're training that new way of thinking, that new way of perceiving reality and then reinforcing it hopefully with action. And if we do that enough, we don't have to effort it anymore. It just becomes an unconscious reflex. So is that setting, is that like, is the same thing as is setting
0: your intention? Like if you walk into, um, if you know you're gonna go do your workout, right? Like you're, in your case, if you're gonna walk into the gym and, and start your workout, do you take a minute and kind of do that same focus mm-hmm. and, and kind of bring the intention to what you're doing right now? And is that the same thing that you would do like
1: whenever things get tough out in, mm-hmm. like if, if you are competing? Sure, so, so training in is reverse, mm-hmm. right? So meaning when I'm on my way to my workout, um, I go, why am I doing this? Like back to that, that those questions like why why am I doing this what will it mean for my life, and so for me I'm not I'm not working out because I like to work out although I enjoy it today right, um, but like when I'm on the way to the gym every morning I got this you know it's a 15 minute drive to you know to where I train, and and as I'm going there, I I go to what it means for my life and I go oh you know what because I'm doing this um, you know I can get on stage three four weekends in a row. Um, I looked at my data. I, I, I wear some biofeedback devices just to know how much energy I'm putting out. Um, and I, I did the the walking equivalent of a marathon. It was, it was 20 miles, right, in a weekend. Um, and then I work all week sometimes, and then I do that again. So I'll do like, you know, three three from a from an energy perspective, like three marathons, three weekends in a row. So, I, and like, it's not an option for me if I want to have the energy to do that. Um, I have to train. I have to keep myself fit, right? Mm-hmm. So on the way to the gym, I, I think about being on stage and you know, the, the transformation that we create in people's lives and, and just what happens for people there and, and, and that these people are relying on me to show up and that it's important to me that I show up because it's like I'm fulfilling my life's mission. So I tie this idea of my life's mission to that workout. Mm-hmm. And when I think about you know, what I do you know, every day when I think about, you know, making that difference in people's lives, like really showing them how to go from suffering to thriving in life and, and training people to go from, you know, living a good life, but then taking it another level to, to really realizing their inspiration, their dream, like that lights me up and that immediately activates a sense of like overwhelming joy and passion and inspiration emotionally because, because I think about that, right? It's meaningful to me. And so when I feel that emotion... Right, just like talking about it right now, I can feel it. Then I walk into the gym and then I lift. And so all of a sudden I've tied that to the workout and you know I'm making those connections, right? Because again, we train emotion in two ways. Like we feel it, we're training it. Right. Whatever we feel and whatever we focus on, we're training ourselves to go there again. Right? It becomes a reflex, becomes a routine. And the more consistent we can get ourselves to feel a certain emotion, the more prevalent it's going to be, the more consistent it's going to be in our life. And then if we want to, um, you know, drive things in our life or connect that emotion to, to the events that we engage in in life so that we can reinforce it and feel it more frequently, the, the key to doing it is feel it when you do it, right? Neurons that fire together, wire together. Like that's a popular phrase in neurology today. And it's very literal. Like if I feel passion, inspiration, and joy for sort of making a difference in people's lives. And then I connect to what it means for me. And I literally go in there and swing a kettlebell. Well, then all of a sudden, the opposite happens. I grab a kettlebell and I feel like I'm living my life's mission, swinging a kettlebell 50 times, right? (laughs) And because that's what we teach the nervous system. Okay. People who bike and love biking, it's because they feel alive. They feel passionate. They feel connected to nature. They're one with the universe. They're on their bike. So now the opposite happens, like they feel like shit, they get on their bike, they're one with the universe. Like, like we train that, that connection, like that's just how the, the brain works, right? Mm-hmm. So if we think about it as I feel X, I do Y, now X means Y, Y means X, okay? Now for most people, this is a completely unconscious event, right? They, they feel a certain thing, they do something, and then they connect emotions to behavior activities, but they don't know that the connections are even happening. When we just start to pay attention to it, we can start to see, oh, this emotion that I feel actually does drive this behavior called, you know, golf, drinking, yelling at my spouse. Like there's an emotion that happens and then we fight, you know? And yeah. it's like, it's, it's been trained and ingrained and we didn't even realize it happened. So if we want to disengage the event, it's about learning how to turn that emotion off. Now I don't have to engage that event if I don't choose to. And then if we want to get ourselves to, to take action towards certain things, it's about activating, learning how to turn the emotion on first and then linking it in the right way to the behavior that we want to uh, get out of ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if we do that over time, we're in that really tough spot in the race. We go back there. It's like, it's all over for me or like, I want to bail. I don't even want to do it. Uh, now we can go back to that vision or that 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 trigger i call them like anchor the, that trigger anchor that that wakes up that emotion and that that thought in me again and then we can leverage that to finish we can leverage that to give ourselves the yes we can leverage it to we, it now becomes a tool in our belt but yeah. it's not there if we don't condition it a little bit well and i feel like i've got you know so many
0: clients they they come they come in they want to they have a goal. They they that's why they look for me and they say, hey, you know, I want you to help me prepare for this event. So we set out a plan, and you know, then they just follow the plan. And there's there's um, which I think is going to get a part of the way there, sure. right? Like if you just follow this plan and trust the process, and you know, you know, you're going to be physically ready. But you know, I think getting people to understand that training that that intention is as important as training the legs to pedal the bike yeah. you know because that's what's going to help whenever you know like you were saying the 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 body could always do more than what the mind's saying that you can so you know to to keep pedaling the bike whenever it really gets tough
1: yeah. you got to as i say you got to train the vision and the why as you train the body mm. cuz the vision and the why is what gets linked. us to take action in the first place like mm. linking those two things together is what translates to extraordinary action or that mm-hmm. compounding effect like we were talking earlier, right? It's like, like big events don't just happen. Like you were talking about your 300-plus-mile race. Like th- that didn't just happen. Right. Like, like there was an amazing prep. amount yeah. of micro steps that occurred way before that throughout your entire life, really, in terms of athletics and training and passion on health and all those things, right? So it's like because those emotional and mental connections got tied to training – all of a sudden, like you did that Monday and you did it again Tuesday and you did it that week. And then you were able to show up and do it the next week. And then you were able to do it the next week. And then you were able to do it for the year. And then that turned into five years and that turned into 20 years. Now, all of a sudden, this extraordinary event was the result of, of, of in a one-time manner, a, a really um, unextraordinary moment, right? Like when we show up and we, make, we do our thing that day, it's unextraordinary. extraordinary but to, to, to be persistent over time is the thing that's extraordinary, and, and that's the thing that turns into outstanding outcomes. right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the key to you know consistency over time is, again, we go back to the inner game, because without that inner game being dialed, there's just no way we're going to be able to show up that day to do X that fulfills on our vision and, and our why. So it's,
0: I mean you almost have to make it. So that it is, you're, it's happening subconsciously. Yeah. I would right?
1: say it, it, it's part of the training. Right. Yeah. Just like I said, like when I go to the gym, I'm training the inner game. It's just part of the training session. Right. You know, it's just part of what I'm doing that day. And then if we teach ourselves that, you know, around athletics or, or in the gym, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're at work, the same techniques. Like, okay, I'm working and I'm training the inner game while I, while I engage my career. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have to constantly train my inner game as an entrepreneur Otherwise, I wouldn't succeed. I would have quit a long time ago. Because like the, what I have found is that the fortitude and the level of discomfort that I, that I face inside of being an entrepreneur really does make my athletics feel like it was not that hard Piece of back in the day. <laughs> like, if I, like when I think about all the things I did in martial arts, it made me capable of doing what I do inside of my business. And as an entrepreneur, um, I wouldn't be able to do it without it. It prepared me for that. But the level of discomfort that I engage at times or have to face at times as an entrepreneur makes makes my athletic training seem like it was easy. Like it makes me want to go back to the, to the dojo. Yeah. Sometimes. So another like I guess buzzword that's really
0: uh, – I mean you mentioned it a minute ago like being in the zone, um, you know, finding that like flow state where things are just kind of happening and, and you're – somewhat just observing, right? Like your body's going through the motions and you're able to just kind of almost like step back and just uh, observe what's happening and you're not really consciously thinking about the activity, right? Is, I mean, how would you explain
1: flow state? The, the way I define flow or the zone is, is when we're in that peak alignment of emotion, uh, mind, thought strategy, and nervous system. Meaning the the emotions are dialed, right? We're in a in that love-based state from a neurological perspective. We're just sort of in that place of just just peace, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, fulfilled. Whatever we want to name that, like like the emotion is just sort of in a peak state there. Like a like if we think of 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 lifting weights, you increase intensity by way of increasing weights. It's sort of like I think of emotion. Like sometimes we can feel you know, just kind of like a general sense of like a, like, like joy. And if we think of 10 being, it's overwhelming and I can't like, it's, it's, it's exploding for me. And then one is like, there's a mild essence of that peak state is when um, that, that sense of peace or, or love based state is at a 10. And then the mind is, is still there's, there's no thought. Like we've mastered a thought strategy in that moment, at least to the point where there's no thinking occurring. There's just, the experience of the emotion or the, or the, or the presence that's there. And then the nervous system, the body's just, it's just relaxed, right? We're not, we're not consciously, you know, engage the body, but really the, the repetitions that we put in unconscious conditioning is kicking in. And so it's like emotion, thought, and nervous system is in just that perfect alignment. And now at just what, what we think of as beingness or execution just happens. But that's trained. It doesn't just occur. Like people think of flow as something that some people have, some people don't, or it's something that you find sometimes. Yeah, you, you're like,
0: oh, I was. I didn't realize for the last 20 miles I wasn't even trying or, or thinking or, or focusing.
1: Yeah, it's like... It went by in a flash. Yeah, like, somewhere, like you trained that. Yeah. Like, like, that like, like for whatever reason, a lot of people just kind of happen upon it or right. they don't. I teach people to train that so that they can access it at will. And if we look at... You know, what, what does a pro athlete do that, that others don't and what makes that difference, right? It's they've, they've mastered that state and they know how to turn it on for themselves at will. Whether they realize they're doing it or not, they know how to turn it on at will. Mm-hmm. Whereas others happen upon it. Yeah. Or they can't find it. And now they're battling the mind and the emotion while they're trying to do the event. And we all know that doesn't work. So what's the trick?
0: How do you turn it on? <laughs> got to train it <laughs> <laughs> by, by getting to that state. Like you got to find that flow state and and recognize it. Cause I feel like when you recognize it, you're out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you go, Oh, I'm there. You're no longer there. Right. Like, um, and, and, and for me, and now we go back to, it's really easy to turn on once you've trained it, like, like anything. Right. But if you haven't trained it, you can't do it. I, I remember when my martial arts master decided I needed to do what was called a 540 spin kick. I, I don't really like jumping I don't like spinning around. And now he wants me to do both. Right. And so I remember just being in the dojong, like try and execute, try and execute, try and execute. And it wasn't like I tried it for a few hours and I hit it. It was more like I tried three or four hours on Monday evening and never got it. It Fell a lot. It was brutal. He's yelling at me like not great. And then basically that happened again on Wednesday. And that went on for months, you know. And I remember like like just already defeated thinking this is never going to happen. I'm never going to figure this out. I really wish he would just realize that I'm not capable of this and just let me off the hook. And like, clearly that session weren't even worse. Right. And then, and then I remember the moment that I did it, it wasn't like I hit this moment of inspiration. I kind of gave up. And I just remember going, it's probably, I just remember sort of going, it's probably not going to happen. But then in that moment, I was like so exhausted. I found that peace state. Like I was kind of peaceful because I was just like, whatever happens, happens. There was no thought because I was so tired I couldn't think. And then the nervous system was relaxed. And I remember I executed and I did it. Mm -hmm. And then I remember his words like very clearly to me were, it took you long enough, like finally, like (laughs) now do 20 more. And then I like did 50 more because I was so excited that I I had it, right? And then once I did it, once I could do it over and over again. But I look at, okay, that was before I knew and understood how do I train emotion and mind, right? So I just had to like effort until I happened upon it. And that's how most of us sort of access that. And then maybe we get back there. Maybe we don't. Right. Um, when I really feel like I got decent at martial arts was when I was able to train that flow state. And, and again, if you follow the right system, you can do it. And it's a combination of three things, right? Number one is, is the right breath practice so that you learn to relax the nervous system so that it can, can move into that. We'll call it automatic space. Like Wim Hof breathing? I, I don't know. Wim Hof won't do that because it over-activates the nervous system. What's, what's required is more of a deep circular breath. So like mouth is closed, tongue touching the palate of the mouth, start at the top of the head, work your way to your toes, completely relax the body, and then gently breathe in through the nose until you find the very top of your inhale without straining. As soon as you find the top, go straight into your exhale until you find the very bottom. And then just continue that pattern you know, for 20 minutes, like start with 20 minutes, work your way up to an hour, right? Where you just basically are doing that circular breath, focusing 100% on the breath. And then the mind will want to go places. It'll want to think about work. it will think about your training schedule, but think about this, think about that. Like the mind will want to go places and you'll like forget that you're even breathing. Bring yourself back to your breath. What you'll do is in time, you'll be able to sit down 20 minutes, focus on your inhale, find the top, focus on your exhale, find the bottom, and you'll be able to do that consistently without deviation of focus for 20 minutes. That, what that tells you is your, your mind and your ability to think and focus is now getting stronger. And um, nobody, unless they've practiced this and have a, a high aptitude already, is going to sit down and be able to go 20 minutes without getting distracted, going somewhere, wanting to get up, daydreaming, forgetting that they're breathing. Like we go all over mm-hmm. the place. You got to just keep bringing yourself back there. It's training, not just the nervous system to relax, right? But it's also training the mind to focus. And then it's teaching the emotions to calm down because you'll notice that when you breathe in that way, you can't be angry. You can't be anxious. You can't be overwhelmed. So you're literally training your emotions because you'll feel a sense of like peace and calm. Eventually a euphoric sense will come over a person when they get good at it. Um, And then, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now, now I'm finding that space. Right. So step one is what I call turning it off. Like, like learn to just shut it down because the the emotions, the mind and the nervous system, because most of the time they're always talking. So people are always feeling something. We're always feeling overwhelmed. We're always feeling anxious. We're always feeling excited. Like there's always some emotion there for most people. They just don't realize that it's there or a low stress state the mind is always thinking about something, right? What am I going to do? What am I doing now? What is this person thinking about me? They're thinking about what they're going to say before the other person stops talking. Like they're constantly thinking. And then the, the, the the body is always talking too. like, we're always in a little, little bit of a stress state. Like we're always a little bit tense. We're, we're fiddling with our fingers, right? We're clenching our jaw. Like when I, when I train people and I sit there and either just watch them sit or like when I bring them on stage and we do work at like weekends, like you've seen, they're always doing something with the body. That's active, and they have no idea what's going on. Right? Like like a little twitch with their their lip or, or whatever. So it's like 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 really shutting it all off. Like get the get the emotion to be quiet, get the mind to be quiet, uh, and get the body to settle down and be quiet. Now once we know how to stop the train, now we go into what we've been discussing, which is great, how do we turn on the emotion we want to feel, get the mind to think what's gonna be most most effective, and then start to train those um inner patterns that translate to outer execution mm. but but for the first step is we got to learn to turn it off um, and then and then trust our training
0: yeah I think turning it off is some of the most uncomfortable part
1: <laughs> yeah I, I remember like like and I do this on stage all the time like there's times when you know I know I know my training is there so I've got you know in terms of working with clients one-on-one in, inside of every walk of life like I've literally put in tens of thousands of hours at this point you know coaching people training people um in in playing the inner game right and and i've got the same amount of time or more you know on stage and conducting seminars so i know that i i know i have the skill i know the talent's there sometimes emotionally though i'll get a little worried you know i'm on stage with somebody and they bring me a big a big event that mm-hmm. they're tending and and i'm on the spot or i get called out and i need to produce a result and i get a little, i get a little nervous Like oh boy what am i going to do here they're not they're not You know, I'm not, I'm not able to get them there or something like this. And I'll just literally relax and take that deep breath, you know, in and out, like I spoke of earlier. Um, And it just quiets everything down. And then boom, the answer is always there. Mm -hmm. But I can do that now as a simple in and out breath, right? Mimicking what I just described as that circular breath. And then it's there and find that zone because I've trained it.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 Um,
0: So the difference then, so what were you saying about the Wim Hof breathing? I mean, I know know that's pretty like kind of, you know, popular right now and and more and more people are getting into it, but that's not, you're talking about calming everything down. Wim Hof seems like it's almost exciting everything.
1: Yeah, Wim Hof breathing is, um, you know, it's a method of breathing where it's um, intense, right? So you're breathing really strong, forceful in and a strong, forceful out. And you're sort of like, like, like oxygenating the system or like building up carbon dioxide within the body and like basically saturating the cells in the brain with that. And there's a ton of like health benefits to that. And it is great for the immune system. And like, you can go and and research all of that, but, but it more, it activates as opposed to relaxes. So like somebody as an example, who's, um, in a stress state or predisposed to anxiety, that's not the breath work you want to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like it'll, it'll just make, it'll probably just make matters worse. You need to start with more slow breathing. So, like, if we look at traditions, um, like, I, like, I had a, a, a Qigong master in my life, Qigong teacher, which was a form of martial arts. Qigong means breath work in Chinese. It's a, literally a whole system of how do you breathe. And they never start with aggressive breath. Everybody always starts with, you got to learn to breathe slow before you can breathe fast. hmm yeah, it's similar in athletics, right? Like if you can't can't breathe properly when your heart rate's at 130, right. you're gonna have a real hard time finding it at 180. Right. So yeah. same idea. Okay. Different different purpose. Yeah. So you mentioned you've mentioned
0: a couple different people now, uh just in our conversation today about uh the mentor that you met that you moved to Boulder to, to live with him, right? Um and then uh, your martial arts teacher. Um, so, who who would you say are the three most influential people
1: that have gotten you to where you are now, like in your journey? Yeah. So I had um, I had th- like three primary mentors who supported me to create the curriculum that I now teach, and that's why I also think like like what uh, what I do what we do at InterMatrix Systems is really different is because we've combined modalities that are are not usually connected to each other um and so number one i had a mentor in los angeles uh a, a world-renowned psychologist who actually got me started um that's how i ended up working with a lot of my pro high profile uh clients in la she said hey you teach me inner this inner game right meditation etc uh, i'll train you inside of psychology so Um, I had a mentor who who taught me sort of these, you know, modern psychological ideas and and techniques and strategies. Um, And then second, I had my martial arts mentors, traditional martial arts uh, teacher in my life, um, which the main focus there was not actually fighting, but it was building character and like learning a set of principles and breath work and the nervous system and cultivating what we often hear of as like chi. Like when you go to an acupuncturist. Um, and then third was a, was a spiritual mentor in my life, um, a guru from India. Um, and, and I talked to those individuals and said, Hey, I'm studying each of these things in depth with you guys. I'd like to combine it with these other things. And I even introduced my, so it was all happening simultaneously. Oh yeah. I even introduced my mentors to each other. Cause I did, I did all three of these things for, for 14, 15 years or better. And not like, you know, dipping my toe in an hour a week, like living it. Like I went to India and meditated in a temple for four months straight, like, like really just lived it, right? Um, and, and then I asked them, like, hey, can I introduce you guys? Can you help me, like, put these three things together? Because I think it'd be really, really powerful. And they agreed. Um, and so that was the base of it. Like, I've taken a lot of other things, but I would say those are the three primary areas was my kung my, my master, my, my traditional martial arts mentor. Uh, second was uh, a guru from India, very traditional um, guru who understood like breath work and internal training that they've been doing for thousands of years. Um, and then a modern psychologist. Um, and then I went and studied the, the neurosciences and you know, quantum physics and different things to just understand why this stuff worked. And then that, that enabled me to sort of package it in a way um, and create a training system at it that was really effective because it was just, here's what's happening with the, with the brain. Here's what's happening with the nervous system. Here's why it works. So that put together the steps, so to speak.
0: Yeah. So it, it, you're not like, with the work that you do, the the system that you've created, it's not something that you've 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 helped develop the system, not really like come up with the the basis of it all. Like yeah. You've just got to put put these things in it in together in a in a recipe that works, and you've seen results. And
1: yeah, I'd say at this point it's probably like seventy seventy thirty. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of how I, like when I train my trainers today to execute, you know, like what we do, when I tra- train other people to do what I do, it's like um, I-, I was given a step-by-step blueprint that I followed and, and I, got, I got really good at that blueprint that I was given in each of these modalities and then we put that together. And then through execution and ongoing study, you know, I found the other 30% that I didn't find in those modalities. That's sort of my evolution of, of where we began mm-hmm. and, and still today I'm constantly studying and researching and, you know, looking at how do we make this, what I think of as, as transformation, right? We're, we, we, we exist in a certain place we have a particular life and then we can, you know, create a life that looks completely different than the one we knew. Um, you know, as I, as I often say it, like, like creating the life better than we ever thought could be possible. And it's like how like like I'm always asking two questions like how do we make that happen um, as efficiently as possible um, and as powerfully as possible, right? So like like where does instant transformation happen? So anything that I come across that I feel like can be a, a great addition to even what we already do today, we we execute and it's great because like over the last 20 years now, I've led over f- I probably led between five and six hundred weekend seminars all over the world. Um, and I work with people one-on-one, right? Like, like probably tens of thousands of hours at this point. And, and so I, I also have this live training arena, so to speak, where it's like, I see what works firsthand and what doesn't work. And sometimes I have an idea, like intuition starts to play in where I'm like, I feel like this could be really effective where I, where I learn something right. Uh, from somewhere, I feel like this could be really effective. And we try it out and, and I get to see like, it, it works, it produces results or it doesn't.
0: Mm, so it's yeah. always evolving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Every year, it needs to be better. Otherwise, I get bored. <laughs> <laughs> so, who's who's
0: one of the most like inspirational people for you right now? Like who? I mean, because you have these these three people that you that you just went through that kind of got you to where you are. And then, who are you looking who are you looking toward now for like that drive or inspiration or like oh wow um, that, that's they're doing something really cool. I
1: I kind of keep my eye on on people creating just what I think of as, as huge impact in inside of service and making a difference. Um, because I, 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 I want, or I hope to one day, uh, you know, or I should say I have a vision that I'm committed to fulfilling of, of having a similar impact. Right. So when I look at, you know, the, like Nelson Mandela and like the, just the influence that he's able to have and the difference he's made in people's lives, like that's somebody that I go to or, you know, I look at Oprah Winfrey, like where she started to the kind of influence and impact she has today, and the way she serves, and and and, and the way that she contributes to people's lives is inspiring to me. Giving away cars um, and stuff. Oh, all like like, <laughs> like all of the things, you know, like you get a car, yeah, you I get. Mean, a car. <laughs> so you know, so so many people are you know through her network and her television show, like 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 the book club. Yeah, just like saved <laughs> lives, right? Yeah, um, and then and then I look at people like Elon Musk, right, where mm-hmm. he's like. Like he had this insane vision that now people are kind of buying into like, like going to Mars and, right. you know, like, like changing, like, like the way we manage fuel from like gas to, to solar and, and building what he, what he's built. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so people playing the game at that level that, that are doing it not for themselves, but really just because they, they, they believe wholeheartedly and like leaving the world a better place than, than they found it. Mm hmm yeah for humanity right yeah <laughs> yeah hope yeah we got like 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 w- like what's the point and of purpose if we haven't left um a positive contribution with the life that we lived right. so what are you
0: working on personally for yourself like where's that where's that point of improvement for you
1: uh r- r- point of improvement like i think the the two places that that i'm always looking at is um i mean I, i'm always um, I'm always fascinated by the evolu- the idea of like the evolution of consciousness, right? So, so like every year I kind of tune in and, and I ask myself the question, like, am I, am I the same person as I was last year? And that's not so much like where I live or, you know, the job I have or like the money I make. It's, it's more the question of, you know, do I see this, the world the same way that I did last year? Um, if I look at like the, the way I feel like my primary emotions, Right. Or the the ideas I have about the world, um, you know, the, the philosophies that I drive or the principles that I live by, uh, have I gotten better at living those principles and, and have my principles and my, and my guiding, um, you know, sort of, uh, morals gotten better. Am I a better person? Am I a better human being? Um, you know, have I evolved, uh, emotionally, mentally, and, and as a human being is really what I strive for at this point. Like what, what experience can I access of myself? And, and how can I see the world different than the way I see it today? You know, I've had so many experiences in life, like many of us have had, I'm sure, where it's like, you believe the world to be one day, and then that, uh, that idea of the world gets shaken, and you just realize it wasn't that way. And, and that's happened enough times for me where I go, I, I feel like I'm pretty certain that the world is this way in terms of the way I perceive it. And I'm also certain I'm wrong. And so I look forward to sort of obliterating that paradigm for myself and seeing the places where it's not the way I think it to be and, you know, accessing the evolution of the way I can perceive it.
0: How often do you fail at executing what you teach? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like, so the, we have a lot of mutual friends in uh, the community in our area here seems to have this idea that you don't mess up. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you're dealing with uh, uh, customer service and you yeah. don't ever get fired up and yeah, say, yeah, ah, sure. fuck it. Sure, I get
1: it, yeah. I, it's interesting because um, I don't think I've ever taught, like when I go and I lead a, a weekend, a seminar, right? Um, I, I've not led a single one yet. Where, where I just publicly let everybody know, like, I mess this up all the time. And my goal is just to mess it up a little bit less as I move forward, yeah. right? And, and so, when I, when I look at, you know, when I, when I reflect on a day, I mean, I can probably reflect on any day that I've lived. And I could find two, two three places, a handful of places where I miss the mark, mm-hmm. like every day. I, I really do think about it like, um, you know, like a great athlete, Um, You know, I went, I haven't been to a baseball game in quite some time and probably since I was young. Um, And we went to see the Rockies play, you know, a few weeks ago uh, with my my girlfriend's parents. And I was reminded when I looked up at the scoreboard, when they would put up the batters, uh, the batting average, right, Um, before they went up each time. And I was looking and it's like, you know, 350 and 250 and one fifty and you're like, oh that's the pitcher. And yep. you know, <laughs> and, and then you, and then it occurs to you like the fans in this in the audience, like they expect those guys to hit a home run every time. Like they really do. Yeah. And if they don't, like 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 stuff goes down, right? Like right. like they're like, you idiot, why can't you get it right? Like pay attention. And yeah you're, you're professional. Yeah you're professional. You should hit you should hit a home run every time. Like how did you not ca- how did you not catch that ball? You should catch the ball every time. And you're like wait a minute here. Like, look at the statistic. Like they missed it seven of 10 times. Right. And they're, they're like the best in the league if they've missed it seven of 10 times. So I feel like if I hit it three of 10 times, I'm doing good man. Yeah. And hopefully I can get up to four.
0: There you go.
1: Yeah. Um, for me, it's not about perfection. Perfection is a, a lie. It's something that we never attain. The pursuit of perfection is an awesome journey to be up to. If we understand we're never going to get there. And, and what's most important is just evaluating kind of like, like what started our journey today, right? Which is, um, hey, here, here's how I'm doing. How can I do it a little bit better tomorrow? So is that enlightenment? Like
0: <laughs> is perfection enlightenment? Um, or is enlightenment like being okay with the fact
1: that it's not perfect? You know, I, uh, uh, my personal idea around enlightenment is it doesn't exist. I think is what we make it out to be, and and the reason I say this is because I, like like I dove into some you know interesting training, some that were amazing, some that were really bad, um, and I remember being in, in like India, right, or or Taoist temples meditating, and and them talking about this idea of enlightenment, or, you know, I got to spend time with as an example this gentleman who taught me inside of a lot of the internal training, you know, methods that I that I teach people today. You know, he literally lived in a cave for eight years, like, like old school, never left the cave for eight years. Um, his assistant or, you know, would bring him a glass of milk a day. He would drink a glass of milk a day, and he, he stayed in meditation um, in that cave in the Himalayas for eight years. Just surviving on milk. One, one glass of milk a day. That was it. And, and sat in the same spot, and then he would do yoga you know, uh, movements uh, twice a day to keep his body capable of sitting that long. But that was all he did. Right. And I, and, I, and he told me he slept like, I think it was like, like he actually slept like four hours a day or something. You don't need to sleep a lot when you're just sitting, sitting there meditating. Yeah. Right. And then he ended up, you know, his, his teacher asked him to, you know, come out of the cave and, you know, teach others and whatever. And he didn't want to, but he did it. Um, And, and that's like the, the example that I think of as if a human being is enlightened, that dude had to have gotten there. Right. Like eight years, like literally just meditating on the idea of the universe, God, whatever he was doing. I saw him get angry, like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, yeah. like, like everybody that, that I've met, like human beings that literally have the title of enlightened being, right. Mm-hmm. Um, et cetera. What I, what I, what I saw was they had kind of like a pro athlete, they had an extraordinary ability of managing their state and their inner reality far beyond the average human being. But what I think people do is they create these ideas of enlightenment sometimes or self-realization based on like books they read or things that they dive into. And then they go, well, that means that they're in a peace state all the time. They never get angry. Right. right? Or they're, you know, I don't like, like we create this idea of enlightenment that I think keeps people from attaining it. So that's why I say, in my opinion, I think enlightenment doesn't exist because all of the, the ideas people create about what it is keeps them from what they can attain. So if we let go of the idea of that enlightenment uh, and we kind of get inside the right internal training methods, we can start accessing experiences within ourselves that, that are beyond what most people can access. And it's just like, if in my opinion, it's just like learning you know, a, a sport If you show up and you do the right training, you'll access those states and you can get there. And, um, you kind of have to introduce yourself to it to understand what it is. Like you just have to experience it and then you can form your own ideas around it.
0: Yeah. seems like there's layers. Yeah. There's lots of layers to this.
1: But even today, like when I experience like a deep sense of peace within myself or, you know, a sense of openness or something because I'm doing internal training. Right. And I think, oh, this has to be it. Like. No it's it's not like it's just it if you decide it's it there's there's always something more to experience in life if we don't get caught in the habitual loops of being that we can all get caught in
0: right yeah.
1: um
0: one thing I wanted to because i'm i'm this is definitely self serving because you mentioned it a little bit ago when you were talking about um you know how you go back at the in at during every year you look back and say am I doing these things better than I was last year? One thing you didn't mention was physical body because as we age, right, we're not always able to continue to perform at the same level that we were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Right. So, um, whenever you, so you won three world championships, is that right? Mm -hmm. As a martial artist. So, and then at that point, did you just step away from martial arts altogether? I mean, I know you said you still you still practice some now, like in your training, because mm-hmm. you enjoy it, right? Yeah. But was competition just, that chapter was over for you and you just started doing something something else, a, a different journey, or yeah. how do you... I, I, I'm thinking, like, for me, personally, you know, like, I've been racing at a certain level for a long time, and, you know, I've slowly started this transition, but I don't see the transition... Happening in a way that's just like that chapter's over and I'm no longer a bike racer, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that has de- has defined me for so long, you know, of being like this identity of identify as a cyclist, as a racer. And then I think there's probably a little bit of like fear there of mm-hmm. if if I'm no longer racing a bike or at least not racing a bike at the expe- expected level, then who am I? what am I doing? You know? And I think that,
1: um, was that something that you dealt with as a martial artist? Mm -hmm. For for sure. It was, it was interesting because when I, when I transitioned from martial arts, uh, it it, it was interesting because I never wanted to compete. Like I really got back into martial arts because I felt like I needed to get back in shape. I had a mentor that kind of, you know, urged me to make sure I build my physicality up for what I would be doing in terms of like teaching on stage and traveling and things like this. And, um, I was like, I was in okay shape, but I kind of took like a year off of training and, and, you know, to be completely transparent, I got a bit fat and like not, it wasn't great. So I really just get got went back there cause I was like, this is what I know. This is, I know how to get back into great shape cause I was once there. Um, and, and then through that process, my men, I, I like, I, I just remembered the passion I had for martial arts and, my my i asked my teacher if he trained me privately um and he told me no a bunch and then finally he said okay i'll train you but you have to compete and you have to win and, <laughs> and i was like no pressure and i had no idea even what that meant like this was a traditional martial arts from korea and I, I didn't even know what he was really asking me i just knew i really wanted to train i was willing to write the blank check so i did like hapkido, or what was it it was called horangdo. Okay. um and so i so i jumped into it um <laughs> All in. And, you know, eight eight years later, right, um, the the last three years was three world championships. And at the end of it, he quit training us. There was um there was four of us that trained privately with him at the time, and and he he, he decided it was time for him to transition teaching and training people, which is fine. He did it his whole life. Um, and then he actually was asking if I would like like take over the school. And I was real clear up front, like I'm not here to run martial arts as a business. Like, I'm doing this for my training and my fitness. Um, that's not that's not where I'm going. So it's kind of like my, my reason for being there kind of ended. And then I remember I had an experience when I was competing where the first world championship, I was really excited because it was like I fulfilled my goal. Like, I fulfilled my promise to him. Um, I thought that, like, my teacher would be, like, real proud of me. You know, that was important. and And I felt like... Like I accomplished something. Like it felt good to yeah. accomplish something, and you know people were giving you accolades. And it always feels good when you win, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember I went up to him, um, my teacher, and I was, I was super excited to like hear the good job. Of, like you did it, like that kind of thing. And and I remember I went up to him, and I, and and he and he knew that's what I was looking for. He looks <laughs> at me and he goes, you know, it's easy to get to the top. What's hard is to stay at the top. And then he just turns around and he leaves. And then I went, well, wait a minute you mean I got to keep doing like, like I didn't, I was like, okay. So then I immediately was like, okay, well, how did that go? What did I do? Right. Where did I mess up? And like I trained the next year and I kind of like won the next year, the second year. Um, and it was interesting because it didn't, like it didn't feel like I, I, I felt good that I accomplished it. I did a good job, but I more felt good because I I improved personally and I felt like I became a better martial artist and I got, I got better at this thing I love doing um, and that it did help me become a better human being. Like I saw how I grew that year and it was less important that I won. And it was interesting cause I expected kind of the same accolades and that's not what happened. Um, you know, the next year, you know, people were like, well, let's see if you can do it again. Yeah. Like, like all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden good job ended and it was more like, well, let's see if you can do it again. Mm-hmm. Like, like almost like a, a like, um, like a, like, like, yeah, people expected or like a jealousy or like almost like a maybe somebody else should get a shot. Like, I didn't know what it was. And I was like, interesting. Um, and so then I did it again and I went back to training and, you know, did the thing. And and again, I felt better the third year because I grew and I felt like I got better and I challenged myself to that. And then the third year there was just nothing. Like nobody said anything. It was just like, Oh, of course that's what was going to happen. And then I remember, um, a friend of mine at the time came up to me and said, so what is this for you? Is this like another seven years? Like, are you like a Lance Armstrong of this now or like what? And I was like, the thought of that was like, Oh no, like, no way. Like I love martial arts. Um, I, and I, I love what competing did for me and who like, like the skills I developed through that. Um, but, but I really just love the art of it. Right. And so when I, um, when I decided to disengage martial arts, um, I, I, I really did it because my, my focus of life was changing and it was kind of an intentional act where I went, okay, I'm not going to be like the MMA world champion of the world. I'm kind of like a, you know, in my mind, I was like a big fish in a smaller pond, so to speak. Like I felt good about my accomplishments and what I did. Um, but like, it wasn't going to be my career thing. And, it, and I wasn't in a reality where you can like make millions of dollars. Like that was not a career thing for me. And so I went back to kind of the same question it was like, well, what's important to me? And the whole time I was definitely working with people one-on-one inside this transformational work. And I think that I would not have been able to do what I did there had I not been training the emotional, mental components the way that I knew how to do. Um, so it was a great platform for that for me. And so when I left martial arts, Um, I remember like I took a little time off just kind of going like, well, what do I do now? I felt kind of lost, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then again, I kind of was like starting to get out of shape and I was like, I'm not going to do that again. So I went to the local (laughs) MMA gym just to do martial arts again. And I quickly realized that it was now in me. Like I couldn't just train martial arts because as soon as I was there, I was like, who's the best guy? How do I win? Like I went right back into like competitive mode. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, 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 like, like like, it took a few months and the guy had me talked into doing a fight and I was like, this, this is not good. (laughs) Um, this, it did make sense for where I was going. Right. So then I I had to stop and I remember I said, what is fitness for me? What is that going to mean? Like, like where, like, where do I dial this in for me? Um, and then I went back to, well, what does it mean for my life? What's important to me now? And you know, I was now in my, um, late, late twenties going into my thirties, the body didn't heal the same. You know, martial arts is, you're, you're always getting injured. Injuries were taking longer to heal. And I just realized that, like, you don't really get this or, or really believe this when you're kind of in it. And I think endurance athletes are a little bit different. But when you're, when you're in that kind of thing, like, you're not doing it in your mid-30s what you did in your 20s. And you might pay for it differently in your 50s if you keep doing it, mm-hmm. tearing hamstrings and, you know, breaking stuff and whatever it was. So I was like, I don't, I, I kind of want to, like, what do I want? in terms of fitness and my body for my life. And I was like, the things that that were important to me are like things that I I enjoy being athletic. So I love riding mountain bikes. I love skiing. I love being outdoors. I love hiking. Um, I love what I do for a living and I need a high level of fitness just to be able to do that. So I recalibrated and I went, um, based on how I want to live and what's important to me, where does fitness and health fall into that? And so health and vitality became an essential component for me to be really, really dialed in that. And I, and I want, like, I do like set some personal goals still of like, you know, body fat percentage or how I want to feel or maybe some, you know, things that I want to accomplish on the bike or things like this. But that's more so that I make sure I stay in just great um, uh, health and fitness so that I live the life that I want to live. And, um, and so, so I kind of had to redefine what it was going to be for me because when it was no longer competing for me, that's what kept me in shape, right? Like that's what drove me to do the things that I was doing. And when I kind of pulled that lever and and I was identified, like I did, like you said, I identified myself as a martial artist, as a competitor and a, and, and, and one that, you know, wanted executed a really high level. And so when I sort of stepped out of that role, I realized that I didn't step out of the identity and that created an inner conflict because it was like, well, wait a minute, this is who I'm supposed to be and this is not what I'm doing So I kind of struggled with that a minute, but then it really ended for me when I stopped and I really said, what do I want for my life? And where does the body, where does fitness fall into that for who I'm going to be and where I'm going? And I really made this, that clear vision distinction that I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I want to build this business that really transforms lives and makes the world a better place. And I need the body that makes that possible. And that's actually part of why I got more into mountain biking is because I realized like the way I trained for martial arts wasn't really the best way to train for, for endurance and for what I needed in terms of energy capacity for the things I, I was aspiring to next. Yeah. So, so the short answer to that big, long thing is I had to stop and redefine what, what, I, what the body was going to mean for me next. And I do this with a lot of athletes, especially pro athletes, where that was their life, that was their career, that was their identity, that was everything. And then we all have to face the reality, depending on our sport, you know, maybe we can get away with it a little longer than others, right? If you're a pro NFL player, you're, you're not 50 doing that. No. Right. Like that's, that's very unlikely. Um, anomalies make it to forties, but that's very rare. Like you're probably 25 and you're done. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. I think
0: it's like four years is the average career.
1: For yeah. An and then a lot of those athletes who did that, like, it's so intense. It's so experiential. And that's whole their whole identity that like, they're kind of depressed the rest of their life if they don't, Redefine that for themselves, and, yeah, and a yeah, lot so. of them are depressed the rest of their life because they don't recalibrate that for themselves. So the key is to kind of go back to exactly where we started, which is, wait a minute, define my purpose now. Like this, this chapter's complete, except that I'm not complete. Like no, no, everything that I learned here, everything that I acquired here, I can now leverage for what I'm going to go do next. And so, great, what's the vision now? What is my purpose now? How do I reinvent that? and start moving in that direction and then define what fitness and the body and athletics means for that because we we all have a body and we're all going to require that differently depending on what we aspire to.
0: Yeah. That recalibration yeah. of redefining the vision, right? Like you and that's I mean you, achi- you achieved it, you attained it, right? Like you you got that vision of you know being that at the very top of that competitive sport and then having to re reevaluate. Yeah. right
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what really taught me. It just reinforced sort of what I, what I, what I train people now inside of, which is like that question of why am I doing this? What's it going to mean for my life? So, Hey, I need to win this race. Mm-hmm. Why am I racing? What's it going to mean for my life? If I tie things like I'm going to leverage it to be a better person, I'm going to use this to learn about myself Um, it's going to, it's going to help me to train my emotions in my mind so that I can be better with my husband, my wife, my family, right? If we like, if we tie the why in that way, well, well now we're probably going to be better at what we do. We're going to go further with it. Right. But, but then when we do decide to make a transition, if we are competing at a high level, we're able to do that and Mm -hmm. and reinvent ourselves. So whenever you're looking at,
0: um, What does it provide for your life? For you, what what does sports cars provide for your life? (laughs) (laughs) So I know you're a car guy. Yeah, I'm definitely a
1: car guy. So what is that? How does that fit in? Yeah, It's just an experience that you enjoy? For me, I I, I think it's just like I talked about how we feel emotion. We do things and then they get connected. Um, I grew up, again, Wichita, Kansas, not a lot to do. So, like, I, I got into cars. Um, and like muscle cars? Or like just m- muscle cars. Yeah. Like I've never not owned a sports car. Like my first car was like an 82 Trans Am or a 68 Mustang. Then it was an 82 Trans Am. And I always had a sports car. And I, I always loved the idea of driving fast. So, like, you know, as a teenage kid, and me and my friends, like, we would go to AutoZone and buy parts for the car to make it faster and we spent a ton of time in the garage like tuning up our cars making them fast and that was what we did like that was fun for us like like, like we were in the middle of nowhere we didn't have a lot there's not stuff to do right when you live in in, in a town like that yeah I grew up in Arkansas I'm yeah, very, very similar
0: to <laughs> outside of Wichita, Kansas yeah
1: exactly so that's what we did for fun like that was super fun for us and, and back then like you know the it, it, laws were different we kind of had the run of the mill so like if we like you know, tuned up a car and we're driving really fast on the highway. We're probably around nothing. And if you mess up, you end up in a ditch and, and that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like what we did for fun. We'd race, you know, built cars and race together and like cruise around and what we built and that kind of stuff. And so that was what we did for fun. Um, and then, and then I realized like uh, I started, you know, renting like track days and taking my car with my motorcycle out on the track. And it was like a meditation for me. I mean, it was just super exhilarating to be on, on a motorcycle as an example, or in a car and going, you know, 160 miles an hour down the straightaway, 170 miles an hour, breaking, getting down to like, you know, 40 miles an hour in a couple of seconds or 60 and like taking a a, a a steep turn and then, you know, getting back up to that speed, like, you can't, it's kind of like athletics. So you can't be anywhere else. You have like, to be focused on this right now. Yeah. You have to be just one with the bike or like one with the car. And at those speeds, like the mind goes quiet. There is no thought. You're just going to calm, relax. And you, you, just, you just like, kind of like, like, like you got this adrenaline going and you got to focus it. Um, you can't go beyond your ability. Cause if you do, it's going to mean devastation. But when you nail it, there's just nothing better than, than that feeling than you're flying on a rocket at 170 miles an hour. And, you know, you got up there, like you're going 40 and you're up to 170 in a matter of like seconds, not minutes. Right. So it was just a rush, um, at the end of the day. And that just kind of got in my blood. And so for me, um, like my sports car, I just, I just get in it and I I get that, even if I'm not driving fast, I just kind of get that, that kind of rush. And, I definitely drive around way faster than I should. Um, but that's, yeah. So what's so your f- for me, it's the experience. Like It's just super fun to do that in a car. So, and I love what it does for people. Like when people go like, <laughs> hey, can I go for a ride? I'm like, yeah, let's go for a ride. And, you know, most of the people that I take for a ride in my sports car, they're like, they've never, ever been on a ride like that in their whole life. And just watching them turn into a different human being is is awesome. So you're still into muscle cars or are you more into like exotic, like, No, I don't, I'm not like a car collector. Like I've had, um, I've got one muscle car, uh, it's a Jaguar F type R. Um, it was kind of like a childhood dream of mine to Mm -hmm. buy like a, a super high end sports car. Um, you know, I thought it was something that would probably never happen. It's kind of like one of those childhood dream things. Um, and I've had that car now six years and I love it. Um, I'm probably going to buy a new one soon really just because the, the maintenance that I'm going to need to do on the car soon because of the way I've been driving it, (laughs) it's better if I just get a new one. So I'm not a guy that like needs to have a bunch of cars or collects them or like is passionate about that. I'm really just all about driving the machine that goes real fast. Yeah. Yeah. What's the
0: most, most uh, enjoyable car to drive? Like what do you, what do you, what's the car that you've liked that is it that Jaguar? Like what do
1: you, um, What's the most fun car that you've driven? I I drove a McLaren. Um, I think it was a P720, and and on for, the track and, or on the road? On the road. Yeah. Um, and and the way that it's described to me, and I don't know because yeah. I've never been in a Formula One car. Like the way it's been described to me is it's like the closest thing to a Formula One car you can have, kind of like on the road in the street, mm-hmm. right? That that that's accessible for the mere mortal, right? Um, and I have to say, that's probably true. Like the, just the, the, how like the, like as fast as that car is and as responsive as that car is, like, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's like a race car on the street. It was just, uh, it was just fascinating. It was just ex- extraordinary. But what a lot of people don't realize about cars like that is like, unless you're in it to drive it, you're going to hate it because you're like, if you're going 40 down the highway in a car like this, Super like rough. it's, you just feel every bump on the road. It's like beating the crap out of you. Like, like, yeah. like you've got to be into driving cars aggressively to have any, to like that at all. A lot of people buy these kind of cars cause they think they're cool, whatever. And then they, they keep them like six months. They give it back. Cause they're just like, I, I feel you like I just get beat slavio. up. Yeah. Like my girlfriend, like when we go out for drives, she like puts her seatbelt on and she's like, you know, every time I ride with you in this thing, I just, I just feel like I get beat up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it feels every bump in the road and you're taking turns fast and, uh, but it's like I don't know it's 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 exhilarating for me It's yeah. super fun, like when I'm in the car and I'm driving, I'm thinking about nothing. It's just yeah, kind of like a bike, probably, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's not about status or like well, I think what happens any is of that stuff. it's just like it's just so fun to do that in a car, and the reality is you can't have that experience in just any vehicle and and if you've never been in a car that's gone zero to 60 in two and a half seconds and you've never done 170 miles an hour in a car. You, you can't relate to what it's like until you kind of do it right. You yeah. have to have the experience of it to put it in context and like, I don't know, could I have like a sporty ish car and have fun in it? Sure. Is it going to do that? No, no, it's different. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that, you know, with, with cycling, there's that same thing of like, you know, going on a road ride, you know, at a pretty casual pace, doesn't require a lot of attention because I've been doing it for so long. You know, A new person that's new to, to cycling is going to get on a bike and they're figuring it all out and there's traffic and there's, yeah. you know, potholes and people, if you're riding in a group, there's, there's that dynamic and there's also managing the bike, right? So, mm-hmm. but once you've accomplished that mastery of just, you know, re- repetition and riding to a point, like you can you know, take your hands off the bars. You can take a jacket off. You can, yeah. you know, pull food out from your back pocket. Those kind of things that, you know, for like a, a novice is, yeah. you know, it doesn't even seem possible. But I mean, is that the the concern that at some point, like driving a car that fast is, or a, a motorcycle or whatever is like, it's a little
1: boring. <laughs> no? <laughs> <laughs> not not, not for me. I think, I think part of it is that, and I don't know, like, like again, I'm not, like, professional. Maybe if you're a race car driver and you just do this all day long, like, mm-hmm. maybe they get there. I have no idea. But for me, the consequence of an error sure. is so extreme. Um, and you have to respond so fast to what's happening and coming at you that it just can never get boring. What forces you into that flow state? Right? Yeah, like exactly. The consequences yeah, are so If you're, if you're not there... A half a second, you're you're in big trouble. Yeah. Like that's just it. Just takes a, a a minor miscalculation, and and bad things happen <laughs> real fast. Right. Now, when people ride with me, like if I take a friend for a ride or something, right? Like I took my like my friend for a ride. Um, it's actually my my girlfriend's boy or my my uh, my sister's boyfriend, and uh, he looked at the car and he's like, "Dude, can we go for a ride?" And I go, "All right, like all right, sure, let's go." So we go for a ride, and again, like. I like to see how people are going to react, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I went out where there's not a lot of traffic, whatever. And I definitely opened it up a little bit, but like, you know, I know it's just, it's just like when you're on a bike, like, if you know, you're, if you know, you can do this, right. And it's like, um, you know, your, your level is like where you can take that is a, is a hundred. Um, you know, if you're at 80, you know, you're totally fine and safe. Right. Right. Mm. But if that person has never been past 20, 80 is, is, it yeah. means something for them, right? So, like, if I take somebody out, I'm never going to push it past 80 because I don't want to make a mistake with somebody else and sure. you know safety and all that kind of stuff. So, I'd never do that. But at the same point, if somebody's never had a ride like that, you know, I think he screamed at me, like, slow down five, six different <laughs> times. And, you know, his eyes were big. And, but at the same time, at the end of the ride, he's like, that was great. And his adrenaline is going and he's alive in a way that he probably isn't a lot of times right and then you know and then he you know he's also looks at me and he goes it would be really awesome to be able to just put a car right where you want it the way you can do that um and so it's like anything else you got to develop the skill in order to go there but yeah when you're yeah especially when you're on the track that's my favorite thing is because there it's like there's no other cars you have to worry about getting hit you can really kind of test your limits a little bit differently and probably be okay and if you do make a mistake it's not Probably as dire, right? Mm-hmm, right. All, all that kind of stuff. You're not going to hurt somebody else, whatever. Um, but yeah, you don't. You can't be anywhere else. You have to just be right there with what's happening in that moment. Um, and 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 yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's intense. So yeah, are, are you intrigued by
0: the Tesla at all? Like, are you a Tesla guy? Are you going to going to go I'm with that I'm keeping
1: an eye on the on the new Roadster that's yeah. not out yet. Like, my buddy ordered one, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and cuz it seems like as
0: far as you know technology and and the actual like automobile it's it's an amazing yeah piece it, of work it, it sounds
1: but incredible like the numbers from a numbers perspective it's insane um the new Tesla Roadster but um, there's also something about like a naturally aspirated you know they definitely feel completely different i do like the sound um it's interesting cuz my uh like when you read the 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 CEO of McLaren and and the the I don't know the last thing the 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 gas guys are holding on to right (laughs) because they're like yeah performance wise we can't compete anymore right Right. they're like yeah but they don't have the balance right so right now they're saying that because of the battery placement they can't get the right balance so the car's not going to be as fast on turns and stuff like this Mm -hmm. but um but we'll see um yeah I think I think it's a crazy (laughs) thing so I'll drive I'll drive it with my buddy and I think I might have to pull the trigger on one if it's everything that it seems like it could be right cool well, I really appreciate you taking the time. We'll uh,
0: end it there. But what um, if, if people are trying to find you and, and engage in um, in the the system and, and everything that you've created, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, yeah, so just uh, two websites. The best website is just intermatrixsystems.com. You know, you can hop on there, sign up for a program, get started, check it out, see what, see what it's like for you. Um, and you can always check out my personal website at uh, joeyklein dot um, and see what I'm up to personally and 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 how to engage there as well. So those are the two best spots to kind of go and and see what we're up to.
0: Cool. And you've got a you've you've authored a book already, right? Uh, Inner Matrix: Leveraging the Art of Science and Personal Mastery to Create Real Life Results. Is that the new
1: book? That's the new book. That's the new book. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The current um, book actually is the same title, The Inner Matrix. Right. Um, this is basically the rewrite of, of that book. Okay. Um, it's a very different book. It's not, it's not the same. Um, we've added a ton of new science as to why what we do works and and is effective the way it is. Um, you're in it, as you know, like we've, we've got some people's like real life examples of how they've applied this stuff. So people just have a better understanding of what it can mean if you really do train, uh, inner patterns in terms of emotion, thoughts, and nervous system um, in an internal uh, perspective. Uh, and then we go into the strategies of like, how do you actually implement some of this stuff and get started? Um, so it is a little bit also of like a, like a how to manual. Um, so it'll, it'll get you inside of why this stuff works, what to do. And then some examples of like what it, what it creates, like what it can actually produce in a variety of different levels of life, whether you're an entrepreneur, an athlete, stay at home mom or dad, we all have the inner game. And and if we master that, it's going to translate to whatever we're doing. So that's an easy entry point for folks when
0: that book comes out uh, late June,
1: right? Yeah, I think our official launch date is like June June 25th. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a Power of Emotion program, a weekend, weekend course that we're going to be doing. Um, that's going to kind of be our official launch date there. Cool. Well, I don't know when we're going
0: to get this podcast out, but I'm sure it'll be out before June 25th. So, um, Well, great. I appreciate you taking the time. It's been awesome to sit here and, and uh, have the ability to... Pick your brain on a few things. So,
1: yeah, great. Thank you. Sure thing. Super fun. Thanks for having me.